Well, it's uh, unofficially official. Personally, I think the DeSantis team should have waited until tomorrow because the news came out that they're going to be doing a special interview with Elon Musk on Twitter where Ron DeSantis will announce he is running for the presidency. Now, okay, that's fine. We got the news. The information leaks. Elon Musk confirms he's having a very special uh, uh, interview tomorrow with a big announcement. But then the DeSantis team put out a video, which basically is them saying they're launching the campaign, saying text launch to this number. And I think that kind of spiked their own news story. But okay, fine, whatever. It's it's not legal, but it's official, I suppose. Tomorrow will be the, the, the official legal announcement where then they are subject to all these laws. But as of today, we know for a fact DeSantis, Casey DeSantis just put out a video basically saying Ron DeSantis is running for president. So here we go. Now, I want to talk about something else. Target held an emergency meeting and they're going to be moving all of their LGBTQ materials and sales products to the back of the store in, in a bunch of locations because they're panicking over a potential, quote, Bud Light situation as parents are concerned because Target is selling, let's just like chest binder materials for children and tucking bathing suits for kids and things like that. And so uh, not too happy about that. So we got that. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Plus, we could probably talk about Ukraine and Russia, Belgrade. Before we get started, my friends, head over to castbrew.com and pick up your cast brew coffee. Look at this delicious and beautiful Appalachian Nights. Man, I really do love this stuff. We we've, we got some really great coffee for you guys. If you want to support the show, support our efforts, support our cultural endeavors, go to castbrew.com, pick up your cast brew coffee. We got Rise with Roberto Jr. That's the most popular. Appalachian Nights is number two. Or you can join the Cast Brew Coffee Club. Get three different bags every single month delivered right to your door. This is our company. We're sponsoring ourselves, and we are building coffee shops. The first one's currently underway. A lot of work to be done. It's taking a lot longer than we thought, which is unfortunate. But some people apparently already stopped in because they found the location. So super cool. And uh, just give us time to get the coffee shop up and running. But with your support at Casper.com, we hopefully can have dozens, if not hundreds, of locations all across the country where people can come in for a cup of coffee. And up on the TVs, on the walls, will be Timcast IRL, Louder with Crowder, Viva and Barnes, Good content, expanding culture, and creating hubs in various urban areas. So again, Casper.com. But don't forget to go to TimCast.com. Click join us to become a member and support our work directly. You'll get access to our Discord server and uncensored members-only shows Monday through Thursday at 10.10 p.m. And you can actually call in and talk to us and our guests in these members-only uncensored shows if you've been a member for at least six months or you sign up at the $25 per month level. So smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Joining us tonight to talk about this and a whole lot more is Representative Warren Davidson. Hey, it's an honor to join you all. Love it. You want to pull that mic up a little bit? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, who, who are you? We, we know that you are in Congress. Yeah, so Congressman Warren Davidson. I'm from Southwest Ohio. The district goes uh, the west side of Cincinnati from the Ohio River, about a third of the way up the state. So I don't have either Cincinnati or Dayton in the district, but kind of that part of our state. I uh, came in Congress after John Boehner resigned and won a special election. At that time, I was a manufacturing guy, had a group of um, small manufacturing companies. Uh, and then prior to that, I was uh, in in the Army. So I enlisted in the Army out of high school, got sent over to Germany when the Cold War was going on. Wow. I was over there when the wall came down. Um, right on. Got to go to West Point from there, served in Ranger Regiment as an officer. Uh, so Army Ranger business guy, basically, when I first ran. And in Congress, I'm on financial services and foreign affairs. And you're a big crypto guy. So that's yeah. good. Probably the most knowledgeable member of Congress, I'd imagine. Uh, certainly one of them. Uh, we're, we've been working hard to get, I mean, I've been trying to get a bill passed since 2017. Uh, it seems like it would have really helped a lot. A lot of wow. things could have been averted, but um, you know, maybe this year will be the year. 
Right on. Well, thanks for hanging out. We got Seamus Coglin joining us. My name is Seamus Coglin. I have a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes where we make animated cartoons. And I just released one today about our friend Tim Pool over here. I think you guys will like it if you go over there and watch that. It's very enjoyable cartoon to make. I think it's an enjoyable one to talk, uh, watch. Tim seemed to enjoy it. He tweeted it out. Uh, I also have a podcast called Shamer. I stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's over on Rumble. We just streamed today. I thought I had a great conversation with Will Noland. Hey, buddy. Ian Crossland. Good to see you, Seamus. Great to see you, man. And you, Glad Warren, to be Good to meet you, man. Likewise. I, I'm invigorated by all this talk about crypto. Maybe we can talk about that tonight because I know we got we'll a lot into of it, yeah. nutty stuff going on. And if you guys want to follow me at Ian Crossland everywhere on social media, I'd be happy to uh, get in touch with you there. We also have Mr. Duprea on my right. Yes, uh, Mr. Dotcom, I'm enjoying this coffee. Thank oh, you for the, yeah, the that's brew. Appalachian Nights. It's quite good. Yeah, I'm a fan so far. Um, I'm at Surge.com, everyone on the internet. Uh, ready for the show whenever you are. Let's jump into this first story from TimCast.com. Casey DeSantis teases Governor DeSantis presidential campaign. Big if true. Here's the video. They say they call it faith because in the face of darkness, you can see the brighter future. Let's just play the video so uh, y'all can see it for yourselves. You ready for this? Here we go. Is the audio right? Make sure we got the audio right. They call it faith because in the face of darkness, you can see that brighter future. A faith that our best days lay ahead of us. But is it worth the fight? Do I have the courage? Is it worth the sacrifice? America has been worth it every single time. Text launch to five one two three four five. Wait, 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 five one two three four five. Now that's the video, and uh, I feel like this is taking a bit of the wind out of their sails. Casey DeSantis also tweeted out, big if true, in reference to this story from Fox News, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to announce candidacy for president Wednesday on Twitter, sources. So uh, we all knew it was coming. And tomorrow, Ron DeSantis is supposed, or, or for those that are listening to us later, later today, our, uh, Ron DeSantis is going to be doing an interview with Elon Musk on Twitter, and they're going to, uh, he's going to announce he is running for the president, for the presidency. So we, we know he is now. I think putting out this story, and putting out that tweet pulled a lot of the wind out of their sails. I can understand leaking a little bit like expectation may happen. Tune in. Don't miss the show. But tweeting out that video basically just announced it. And I feel like that's going to Elon Musk going to have the interview. And then what's going to end up happening is there's going to be a good amount of people, maybe 20, 20, 30 percent of people who have normally watched the, the Twitter space are going to be like, oh, I know already. They put that video out. It's a text launch. We get it. We get it. So I don't know. What do you guys think? A lot of people are ragging on them already. A lot of the Trump people uh, genuinely are, are upset about this. I'm going to say it outright. I think the people who are upset at Ron DeSantis are scared of him. Hmm. Uh, I do think that this is kind of an example that he needs a better marketing team. No offense, guys, if you're listening right now, but I agree. You, you just stomped on your own fire. Um, you should have let Elon make the noise for you so that everyone went back and watched that Elon interview over and over again. And this is like coming off the heels a couple of weeks ago. I think you, Tim, on Twitter, you had some issues with his marketing team also. Or was that? Yeah, they got, they got mad because I tweeted about Jazz Jennings and I was like, why are they so mad? Yeah, but, and it but, was just... No, I think people will still go, go back to the Elon Musk interview. It's still going to be a big deal. I just think this pulled a little bit of the wind out of the sails. And us talking about it's pulling more more wind out of yep. it. So. That, this, okay, so I'll tell you right now. We originally, the, the, the original title of this was going to be um, Target Emergency Meeting. They're pulling back this big boycott, Bud Light, we're winning. And then it's I'm looking at the news and it's like, 
they basically announced. Also, said, okay, the, well, there it is. That's the, the story. The announcement video was shot from underneath him to make him look large. Obviously, that's a bit manipulative. They should have used some slow motion with a few cuts to give some action because it was a very slow, boring video. That's just more of an artistic critique. Look, I think this is the biggest non-surprise ever. I do think a lot of people are going to watch Elon Musk's uh, announcement tomorrow night. Uh, and look, the the race is ultimately going to be Donald Trump versus uh, Ron DeSantis. I think it can be healthy. We just got to stay focused on beating Democrats. Uh, you know, a lot of folks back home, pretty confident Donald Trump's going to win the primary. Um, and they want to see the competition, you know, at some level. Uh, but uh, they also want everybody to stay focused on beating Democrats instead of beating each other up. Yeah. The other the other aspect of it is I'm very glad Ron's running. So uh, as critical as I'm going to be about the way that they're announcing, I, I like more competition. I think we need that. We need more Democrats, RFK and Biden. We need to see those guys debating. We need to see Trump and DeSantis debating. I'm very happy about it. Yeah. I mean, I love what DeSantis is doing in Florida. Part of what concerns me is just how damaging it can be to any politician's reputation to go up against Trump and how good he is at just ripping these people to shreds. It's one of his Tiny Ron. very strong talents. Yeah. And you just wonder if Ron gets in the ring with Trump, is this going to have lasting damage to his political brand? Yeah, I think that's the fear for anybody. I mean, particularly, you know, getting the crossways with Donald Trump, hard to avoid because those are the tactics Donald Trump uses. He mm -hmm. goes after the person. He doesn't really go after the argument. And it's worked pretty well for him. I guess the hope for a lot of people is that he can kind of work his message in a different way, uh, because that's, I think, the key to appealing to like suburban women, convincing people that he really is going to be able to flip states uh, like Arizona and Wisconsin again and get the win. And, you know, people are saying, oh, well, that's the that's the appeal of DeSantis. We think Trump maybe can't win. Well, the competition will prove it and potentially solidify Trump. And if it doesn't, hey, who knows where we go? What are your feelings like personally between the, these guys and just the Republican Party in general, like for president? I mean, I, I haven't endorsed anybody in the race so far. Personally, I love both of them. Uh, you know, when I first came to Congress, I mean, I, you, when you come in in a special election, I came in in June. So it wasn't like everyone else was coming in. I'm like the new kid. And when you come in, you, you um, have to make a speech. And like literally you go down and you address from the floor of the House uh, all of your new colleagues and okay, it's only on C-SPAN, but it's kind of a big deal. And so big cr crowd comes in after, you know, take the oath of office and flow through. I make it to the back up where the Freedom Caucus and some of the people that I had gotten to know already were. And this guy comes up to me, he goes, you know, hey, I'm Ron DeSantis. You're from Troy, Ohio, right? And I go, yeah. And I didn't, it's like, I thought it was neat that he knew where I was from. He goes, my wife, Casey's from Troy, Ohio. So she literally graduated from the same high school as my daughter graduated mm. from. Uh, kind of small world stuff. Interesting. Uh, her dad was the optometrist in the town square. So I like the DeSantis people. I hope that uh, everything stays friendly. I would be happy if Ron DeSantis was president. Uh, I certainly was happy when Donald Trump was president, and I'm confident he would do a great job again. Yeah, I'd be happy if Ron DeSantis was, was president. I'd mm -hmm. prefer uh, Donald Trump. I think Trump's going to go and get revenge, fire a lot of people. I think Ron DeSantis goes in and shakes a lot of hands. I think policy-wise, Ron is doing a lot of things that help America in a lot of ways. But I wonder if that's what we need right now. Mm. Well, look, one of the things he did as a governor is, I mean, he inspired governors to be better than they would have been otherwise in a lot of states. Exactly. Uh, I, I wish mean, he, he helped Ron DeSantis. Look, yeah. Well, Donald Trump inspired a lot of governors to do that. And Ron DeSantis, look, oh, would, I see would not have. I had it backwards. Yeah, yeah. 
Ron DeSantis would not have won, and I think he'll be clear on that. He would not have won without the support of Donald Trump. Uh, but as governor, he did his own thing and did it really well. And I think it's inspiring. He's a pretty young guy. He's younger than me. I think at some point he's got the potential to be president. But just like you said, Seamus, hopefully if he doesn't get derailed, right? Yeah, well, and you mentioned that he couldn't have won without Trump's endorsement. That's certainly true. The first time he won, he just barely squeaked past. But we have to acknowledge that his next victory after that was an absolute landslide. I mean, he turned Florida from vaguely purple to dark red. He crushed it there. I think he's done a lot of good. I definitely hear everyone's concerns. I mean, if this was a question between DeSantis being president and Trump being president, I'm a happy man, right? Yeah. But then there's the question of who's most likely to defeat the Democrats in a, a national election. That's tough. Yeah. I see a lot of people saying that uh, I, I've, I've, look, I've seen the polls. The polls are very favorable, favorable for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But I've also talked to people out just in the streets, in the cities, and the general conversation is they groan when it comes to Donald Trump. The, the moderates and the independents, I mean to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the sentiment seems to be like DeSantis is a normal guy. This is why I think Elon Musk is doing this interview with him, because Elon Musk said something like, I just want a normal person to be president or something like that. So I think Elon does want Ron DeSantis to win. Hmm. Yeah, whatever yeah. that means. But, but what I was saying before when I said, I don't know if we need that right now in reference to good policy. Of course, we always need good policy. But I think what we desperately, re desperately read night, desperate, desperately need right now. There we go. I got it. Is a purging of the corruption. Well, exactly. And this is something that it's important to really pay attention to, which is throughout the entire Trump presidency, his rhetoric and his tactics and the way he interacted with the elite was much more criticized by media than were his policies. Just as you mentioned, where Trump will go after people and not necessarily policies. And though I'm sure you'd agree with me, he does go after policy often as well. The media was almost always attacking Trump as an individual. Sometimes they'd go after his appointments. That was pretty popular. Sometimes they'd go after a policy or they'd say we're upset that he pulled out of the, the Paris Accord. But often it was the, the rhetoric in this speech was damaging or the way he speaks about people in the media makes them feel unsafe or whatever they were bloviating about. And so that's part of why I think those are the things we should love about Trump, because those are the things that terrify our enemies. He called Rosie O'Donnell a fat pig. <laughs> Which is like not a good thing to say, no, right? It's terrible. <laughs> but um, I think overall, and I'm not saying that there are not valid critiques to make of Donald Trump's rhetoric, but what I am saying is there were times where he was so unbelievably on the money in a way that I have never seen another politician be capable of, right? When he said, I'm I'm the president for, for Pittsburgh and not Paris. I mean, 100%. nailed it, 100%. nailed it. You look at the drain the swamp rhetoric, you know, the, what you're saying, Tim, Look, that was a phrase that, look, it, it sums up. If that meant a lot in 2016, mm. if it meant something in 2022, post-Durham report, yep. when you look at this, drain the swamp is going to be the theme. You look at uh, Elon Musk. I mean, he bought a crime scene. The question is, what are we going <laughs> to do about it? Mm -hmm. That's a very good way of putting it. He bought a crime scene. He did. All the evidence is there that they were suppressing information, that they were. I mean, if a foreign government had done what Twitter did, we'd be calling it an act of war. 100%. And kudos to Thomas Massey, who coined the they bought a crime scene phrase. Okay. Yeah, good for him. The problem with draining the swamp is that I think that the swamp is clogged. I don't think, <laughs> it, I don't think it can be drained without some serious uh, That's why I'm saying plumbing. But he tried last time, and he just, he just but it's basically a, the, the, stood there and looked at it. There's a difference between a first and a second term, and I think Trump underestimated the swamp. 
And I think he comes into a second term and he just says, there's nothing. I've got the snake. There's nothing holding him back anymore. No, I think I th that schedule F story was real. Yeah, I think I think Ron DeSantis gets in and says, look, guys, let's let's shake hands and figure something out together. And then it's just but schedule sludge. F you think realistically that because my, my fear and thought is that if any president went in and they're like, all right, schedule F, I'm firing all the heads of all the agencies, the alphabets, all these administrators, you're fired. The CIA would just have him killed like that. And then no one would get fired. That's my thought. You mean like JFK? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think they yeah. did that back in the day. But I think you, when you look at Julian Assange, you can see their tactics have changed. So when you look at Trump's first presidency, presidency, what do they do? They accuse him of being a Soviet spy. Now, just, now they're now they're trying to accuse him of rape. Yeah. And so you're seeing Democrats now using the E. Jean Carroll story as definitive confirmation, even though there's no evidence of anything. It's, a, it's, it's insane. So character assassination is the tactic. Yep. And then yep. they're trying to make yep. it illegal for him to run. I, I mean, yep. that's, I haven't been following the story the last couple of weeks, but what's been going on in that venue? Have you, like, since they were trying well, they're, to Well, they're, they're, they're going after him in New York for criminal charges, which, which we know about. He's apparently going to be facing new criminal charges in March of next year. They're already talking about that. Federal level, you've got the classified documents. George, you've got election, election interference. They're just going to throw whatever they can at him. They're going to use every procedural manipulation to try and stop him. I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull it off. That, that's it. And then if something bad happens to Trump, I think this country just implodes. If you look at the hardcore Trump supporter, um, you know, indicting Trump or convicting Trump isn't really going to change their support. But if you look at the people that are already kind of on the fence, you know, there's almost no one that doesn't have an opinion at Donald Trump. I mean, he's got 100 percent name ID and 99.9% <laughs> people have a pretty fixed opinion of him. So how does he move those people? And I think they just keep building negative, building negative, building negative. And that is the tactic, like you were saying. And it's been working, you know. And so the question is, but you look in Ohio, you know, Donald Trump, his message was built for Ohio. Everything about it. I mean, I got to be on Air Force One ahead of the election with him and showing stuff. Uh, people did like a three-hour-long tractor parade. And, I, and, and he was just blown away. It's like, who would think these people like uh, a billionaire from New York? I'm like, they don't just mm. like you. They love you. Like, no one made this happen. It wasn't a campaign event. It was just organic. And that kind of support is still there amongst the base. But the question is, when you go into places like, you know, the suburbs, uh, you know, places like uh, Pennsylvania, places like Wisconsin, can you flip Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan again? Can you still hold Arizona? I mean, that's going to be the decider in this election. Man, I'm... I, I... I feel like, uh, oh, hey, hi, good to see you. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm so concerned with votes being tallied on machines in private with proprietary software code. Well, the, but, but did you hear Arizona's banning electronic voting machines? Oh, based. No, yeah, that's based. Yeah, they uh, they said unless they're manufactured here in the U.S. and the source code is public. It's got to wow, be. Wow, free the code. Yeah, dude. dude and I, gave, I gave you a shout out earlier when I was reading the news and they said, they can use them as long as the source code is public and it's made in the United States. I was like, public source, public code. Well, there it is. Now we should we should actively create one of those and use it in Arizona instead yeah, of just yeah. revert. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Dominion said that they were going to be going out of business because of reputational damage. And I'm I'm like, if you have the option, Dominion, of either going out of business or building your voting machines here in the United States with open source code. Why would you not choose the latter? Why would you just be like, oh, I guess we got a business? Especially mm -hmm. if you just got a $700 million plus up. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fox. So they didn't say. I guess it was an interview, and the and the guy didn't say explicitly. That's it. We're done for. He said, based on the damage, we think we're headed towards the drain. That reputational damage is 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 too much. Uh, They're afraid of the name recognition. They need to change their name. Just like uh, Blackwater did. I think. uh, I think Monsanto got bought by Bayer because they didn't like the name. Is that coming for Bud Light? Oh, oh, probably. Anheuser-Busch, yeah, AB, I, I InBev. Every, every state should do what Arizona did and say, look, we don't care about, you, you want you want out of this one? I tell you, it's really simple. The left is complaining about the right because, you know, Kerry Lake is filing his lawsuits and they say, you won't get over 2020. I'm like, all right, all right, everybody slow down. Here's an idea. No more foreign built voting machines. It doesn't even, ma- like, I don't, I don't understand the argument against it. It's like, what, we got to spend money to get upgra- up- upgraded voting machines for election security? Everybody should be in favor of that. We make them here in America. That's American jobs, yeah. good working class jobs. We do open source codes so that the people have a right to see the code. Why would any Democrat disagree with that? It's a requirement for all of our defense contracting. So why wouldn't it be for our voting system? Have you looked much into the blockchain for voting uh, security? You know, blockchain really offers a lot of, look, it's it's immutable. It's distributed ledger. It's a more secure way. It's, I mean, frankly, the most secure computing system is truly uh, available with a proof of work kind of architecture. Um, but a lot of people don't understand it, uh, for one. And two, uh, it really isn't scalable yet. But I think you're going to start seeing blockchain voting for as uh, for shares. So I think when you can do uh, votes for things like shares that way, uh, you will eventually see blockchain as a, an immutable record of what happened. And you can audit it. It's fully audible. Everyone could download a node. If you want to track the election in your state, download the node. You see everything. All the code is there. It would be a great way to run an election. I want to I want to just do a hard segue into the, the cultural stories because this this target news was really big. And um, I'm really excited. This is a white pill moment for everybody. Yep. This is hope and optimism. Target makes emergency calls. After backlash to, quote, tuck-friendly bathing suits and other pride products, the company is terrified of a Bud Light situation, a Target insider told Fox News. The company's LGBTQ-themed items were released this month and include tuck-friendly bathing suits, chest binders, and packing underwear along with gender-fluid mugs and and other things. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this was like for children is what the big issue was. Consumers called for a boycott of Target over the products, taking issue with the swimwear as well as pride-themed children's clothing, including onesies, t-shirts, socks, and swim skirts, with a tag reading thoughtfully fit on multiple body types and gender expressions. Target also sells a collection of children's books focused on LGBTQ issues. Target is evil. If a company targets kids, that company shouldn't exist. Bud Light them, tweeted conservative media personality, mm. personality Liz Wheeler. Matt Walsh, of course, was saying, this is worse than anything Bud Light has done. Of course. And so the reporting apparently... Is that uh, we have this from the post millennial target to move pride merch to the back of stores to avoid Bud Light situation. Quote, we were given 36 hours told to take all of our pride stuff, the entire section and move it into a section that's a third of the size. That's amazing. Bud Light is seeing another major drop in sales. They're nearly 30 percent down year over year. You love to see it. It's getting worse and worse for them. Conservatives simply said, we have no brand loyalty to Bud Light. This is the scariest thing in the world for the biggest brands. There's no brand loyalty to Target. Mm -mm. Nobody's walking around wearing Target shirts being like, yeah, go Target. Bud Light at least had some brand recognition with sports, and that didn't do anything for them. So when it comes to your choice between Target and Walmart, if people are going to be like, Target's bad, we won't go there. 
it's not a big deal to shop somewhere else. I really hope that conservatives stick to this because a few years ago, we saw a similar attempt to boycott Target when they were saying we're going to allow men to use the women's room and abdicate our responsibility to protect female patrons in our stores. And conservatives said, I'm never shopping at Target again. And then many of them started shopping at Target again. So I, I hope that this is truly a bridge too far in that people are going to stick to it this time. I would also say that if this isn't stuck to, it's going to set a very bad precedent, right? Because people are seeing this as the sort of sequel to the Bud Light boycott. And if it falls apart here, that's going to say a lot about the power of conservatives as protesters or as boycotters of products. Honestly, I don't think you really need to identify as conservative to have issues with child sex changes. Agreed. Like, I'm, I'm not that conservative really in life, but little kids that are getting their parents are like, cutting their body parts off and stuff like that just as a human i i kind of wonder what in the hell's going on tim's what, cracking what, a what, beer what was that yeah. ian i i didn't i i couldn't hear what you were saying as i was pulling out this uh, wonderful stud light lager if anybody <laughs> would like a stud light feel free to grab a can this is uh no joke can i don't know reach? if you can see it. it's uh, a stud, stud yeah, light stud light Stud light and there's a there's a cowboy on it for the horse, uh, and it's from Harvest Gap Brewery in Hillsboro, uh, Virginia. That's hilarious. So we just we were just driving past this brewery and we what? walked in. Here, and uh, I noticed they had something called Stud Light. That's hilarious. oh, that's really good. I'm uh, I'm not a big beer drinker, but I had no choice but to buy a beer called Stud Light with a manly cowboy on it because I have to wonder. <laughs> I'm not saying the brewery did anything to. Uh, some of this? What you want to just grab one? Yeah, yeah, here, here, here you go. Here, whatever, yeah, plus we got a bunch down there. Sergio, yeah, there, yeah whatever you don't take. It, I'm not. Take uh, I'm not saying cool. that. I don't know if this brewery made this intentionally because of what was happening. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> but to see that they've got stud light and there's a cowboy on it, I was like, I kind of feel like you know they're Super they're having funny. fun. Super funny, and it's a light lager, mm -hmm. and it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I just I just thought it'd be funny if we just cracked some. If open. you look, if you look pretty at good. Bud Light's market, though, uh, I mean, you know, you know what Ian was talking about. Just to be offended by targeting kids for this is a whole different cross section than just conservatives. Mm -hmm. But if you look at who shops at at Target, it's not as much like who buys your stuff at Target. I mean, a little bit of everybody. But who drinks Bud Light? I mean. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the people that used to drink Bud Light uh, aren't going to go along with this whole trans movement kind of Dylan Mulvaney kind of thing, and they're also not going to buy it. it. Was an April Fool's joke, and yeah. so Bud Light made a bad situation worse by not owning it. Yeah, uh, and and now okay, their ESG score took a tally. Instead of owning that, they're still trying to to oh, yeah. but see, but we can do everything. And it's like, no, man, this is a T intersection. You're going to have to pick. You can either keep the people that used to drink Bud Light or you can go woke. Mm. I think the thing with the uh, Bud Light and Target is that Target has, it is smart of them to panic in the way they're panicking. Yeah. And they should probably just remove these products because the left will try and lie. But um, look, I don't care what an adult wants to do. You know, uh, you know, Seamus and I will have a disagreement on this. Like, I don't care about someone who's LGBTQ or whatever, privacy of your own home. These are all the old traditional arguments from liberals. You, you live your life, you be happy, you, you, we mind our own business. Keep the kids out of it. They're now trying to argue that the LGBTQ stuff is not inherently sexual. Yep. It's quite literally what it is. LGBT quite literally are references to sexual identities and sexualities. 
There's no reason for you to bring that to children. This is what Target is doing. They should not be doing that. Here's what I think. Bud Light loses about 25% of its, its, its market with this whole stunt, and they're not going to get it back. They, they, they may still see growth because new people enter the market and population is, well, if the population expands, if it doesn't, then they're going to lose more, more uh, drinkers. But I don't think it'll go to zero, right? They've seen about a 30% drop off so far. It's like 28% or something like that. These are the people who pay attention, who don't want to drink Bud Light, don't want to be seen drinking Bud Light. It's a lot of people who don't care. They don't watch the news. They don't, they're not on Twitter. They're not on the internet. They just went to the, they went to the, the liquor store to get some beer and they said Bud Light's half off. And they went, wow, me and my buddies want to get drunk. We'll take it half off. Mm-hmm. Some people might even know and just be like, don't know, don't care. Cheap beer. With Target, I think you'll see something similar. A lot of people who know will just say, I will not shop there anymore. That's why Target is freaking out. Not because they're going to go out of business, but because they could lose 30% of their customers in a month. Mm-hmm. And that's bad news. I agree with basically everything you're saying. There's just one thing I'd probably phrase differently. And I think you'd actually agree with me on this when you said there's no reason for them to be introducing this sexual stuff to children. We know there's a reason and we know what the reason is. It's because they want to groom these kids. Yeah. Target? I think the people at Target who are trying to normalize this, yeah, there's, there's an entire effort within our systems to push sexually perverse behaviors onto children. It's they're owned by Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street. These companies keep popping up. Any uh, anything, any of these publicly traded things. I mean, those three corporations, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, own like twenty four percent of Target. They are pushing an agenda. I completely agree with you, Seamus. And it is it is bad. Look, um, you know, my kids are at a point where I never thought, gee, we need to cover boys are different than girls and all that stuff. It's you know pretty pretty intuitive. But we're at an age where. You know, they're very overtly introducing this to kids. And people say, well, you know, gender's a spectrum and it's totally different than sex. Uh, no, you're given cross-sex hormones. You're using cross-sex pronouns. And the surgeries that you want to do, including to minors, are on the sexually distinctive physical attributes of your anatomy. Mm-hmm. You cannot change. You're either an XY person, male, or an XX person. You can't change your bone structure, everything else. You can't change those attributes. With rare exception. Uh, yeah, wait, like point. So it's out there. There are some. Uh, yeah, so there's some. There's some variants, but that's not what we're having this debate about. Yeah. Right. You know, those sections at Target, and you know the whole transgenderism movement that's going on in the country, uh, spreading all over the place, isn't the traditional. You know, cross. Uh, you know, issue with hormones that come there are DNA chromosome uh, issues that you're talking about. So look, XY people, they're different than XX people. Uh, everyone has gotten that for all of time until very recently. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. You mentioned this point about us having to debate the differences between boys and girls and you not thinking you'd be at this point. I feel similarly. I first became interested in politics when I was about eight years old because I, I learned what abortion was and it was so shocking to me that anyone could consider that a morally acceptable thing or that it would be legal. And so I've been interested in these things from a very early age and I had some hope as a kid that by the time I was an adult, if I ever had any kind of political career or a career in commentary, we would have moved on to other issues and society might have progressed. Of course, my optimism was misplaced. Here we are 20 years later and we're, we're debating the differences between boys and girls, literally. Well, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, we've, I don't. We've completely regressed. I don't think we're debating them. I think there is a cult that will lie, cheat and steal. So they'll come to you and pretend like there's a debate mm-hmm. to trick you into debating them because they know that you'll operate in good faith to debate those ideas. Interesting. Meanwhile, I mean, look, 
I know. I it's think like, there's like, truth in that. It's the video of Jack Posoba getting punched by the leftist. Uh-huh. And then when the cops pull up, because the cops watch it happen, the leftists, one of them goes, I didn't see anything happen. They're just lying about yeah, everything. The, they know the difference between boys and girls. They're just trying to destroy the system. It seems yeah. like, yeah, when you when you disrupt the system, right. it's the person that's the most powerful that suffers the most. So like if you cut everybody's value by 5%, it's the rich, it's the one with the most value that's going to lose the most because 5% mm. of the most is more than 5% of less than that. So like COVID shut down the entire world. The United States probably suffered the most because it was doing the best. Uh and now we've got the disruption of the youth, of the psychology of the youth. The United States has the most to lose because it's the leader of the planet. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's I don't think it's an accident, man. It's a global Internet. When you, when, when you cut off the tall grass, the short grass stays where it is. I, I'm going to I'm going to slightly push back against both things. I hear what you're saying, and I think I, I agree overall. But when it comes to who can suffer the most. So, for example, you're right that someone who's extremely wealthy and loses five percent of their wealth has lost more material wealth technically speaking but if a poor person is living paycheck to paycheck and then they lose five percent of their wealth maybe they can't afford to pay rent anymore and similarly we saw during covid the the un increased the number of people projected to be at risk for starvation in the third world by like 130 million so there are certain things that western countries can tolerate that poorer countries can't and that's actually part of why you see it here right because we are so wealthy that we've been able to insulate ourselves from natural consequences for decades if you had a poor society the sexual revolution would have fallen apart almost immediately because what happens when a man starts impregnating women and then he doesn't care for those children right i mean it's it's so social and economic pandemonium and very wealthy nations can insulate themselves from that for a little while leftism only exists in in, in wealthy nations that's yeah. right you're, you're, that's exactly it the woke mind virus as elon musk kind of tagged it is really only in affluent countries there's no mm -hmm. like big woke mind virus spreading all over africa mm -hmm. uh they're not uh transgender no. outbreaks all over the uh, global south it's no. in affluent countries it's it's you know I, I talked about this too uh, a while ago when i said feminism can only exist in in a in an, MP, in an in a, uh, empire's sphere the united states is so secure that we no longer fear for our women if you go back to to uh tribal era medieval whatever when you're really worried about wild animals and disease you stub your toe you die the men are very desperately like if the women die we are wiped out as a civilization so the women are protected keep them in homes keep them in the camps around them you get to the point where you have a very strong military a very expansive country crime gets goes way down and we start exuding military force out of the country and so we face very little threats from within then all of a sudden there's nothing to worry about with women reaching higher positions in, in government I know this one probably triggers the feminists, but this is why you don't see these things, like you mentioned, in other parts of the world where they're less affluent, less safe, less secure. Very true. If 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 we lived in a violent society where people got attacked and, and shot at and stabbed and raped outside, just walking down the street, it would be risky to send your wife out to the grocery store. It wouldn't happen as much. The guy would be but the one is. that did that. It still is. It still is a trope of don't walk down a dark alley. Mm -hmm. And the feminists have been trying. There's this weird inflection point where crime was down enough to where the left started saying, stop victim blaming. But for the longest time, we would tell people, don't go walk through a dark alley at night. And women should be should be worried, despite the fact that men are more likely to be victims of violent crime. It's also true that men are more likely to physic to be able to physically defend themselves from another man. And but it's but it's not just about men. I'm talking about wild animals and just general danger. If you go way back to humans in, tri in the tribal in a, in a tribal era, 
if 90, if you have a tribe, if you have 100 men and 100 women and 99 women die, that tribe ceases to exist. If 99 men die, they'll struggle, mm-hmm. but they'll probably be okay. Well, it, it's, it's not even just a calculation, right? It's men caring about the women in their lives and recognizing because they're not insulated from the consequences of their actions by an unfathomable amount of wealth that men and women do have to be in different roles in order to be maximally safe. And so this is something that you have to be unbelievably wealthy to even start to consider as a society. The idea that you would start to swap roles between men and women. When you're living in a state of nature, right? When you're one bad harvest away from your entire family starving, you're not preoccupied with whether you were called bossy when a man would have been called assertive. It's not even a question. And it's not to say that a society where people are worried about starving all the time is better However, I will say there's no argument to be made that those people aren't stronger and more virtuous than we are today. And I'll also add that we could have the best of both worlds if people were capable of living with wealth while still having a spirit of poverty. There's no generational memory. That's the problem. Mm. We we cannot we we don't know what it's like to to, you know, be preparing for harvest. Some people do, but you know, in the United States. And to say, we've only three months of food prepared for the winter. Yeah. We're in trouble. We're going to have to eat less and hunt more if we're going to make it through this one. Yeah. And I mean, if you look on balance, I mean, one of my favorite sites out there is like humanprogress.org. Everyone's like, oh, you know, we got too many people. We're never going to make it. You know, the Malthusians were saying that forever. They were wrong. On balance, human progress is great. Innovation's given us lots of flexibility, but the question is, how do we keep the th- the ties that bind us? I mean, you know, part of our motto is this idea of e pluribus unum, and and part of the way that you teach that is values and culture, shared values. And you think about how easy it was. You go back to you know what you guys are talking about, the state of nature. If everyone could live by just a basic truth of don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Uh, we would really not even need government, right? Everything would work just fine. And because people can't abide by that simple maxim, well, somebody's got to be the judge of, well, who was wrong to hurt whoever here? And look at how much government we have now versus how little we could have if people could simply not hurt one another or take their stuff. We have a constitution that's supposed to have a limited form of government, uh, but now we have far more government than will fit within our constitution. And I think the challenge today is, how do we get a government small enough to fit back in the constitution? Because we can afford a government that small. I think uh, I think just conflict will emerge. Conflict mm-hmm. will emerge. I think that uh, we, we look at things that are, um, we, we look at hard times as bad things, but I don't think they are. I think there needs to be a balance between the good times and the bad times to create strong, well-balanced individuals who are capable of surviving hard times. And I feel like, you know, there's a saying, uh, good times make weak men, weak yeah. men, you know, hard times, etc. But I also feel like it's kind of swinging back and forth like a pendulum, increasing the amount of energy each time. You get a good time, then you get weak men, which give you a hard time, and then it keeps swinging back and forth in terms of the, the, the of how extreme it gets. What I'm trying to say is, Right now, we are dealing with a very serious crisis in the United States and in other parts of the world with actual war. We have many, many, many weak men. In fact, I think this country is the overwhelming majority of men in this country are, are weak. For example, in New York, Daniel Penny defends people on a train. Did anybody in New York come out with, with signs to protest for Daniel Penny? 
maybe a couple here and there. But was there like a big march where the police were yelling at them and they're blocking cars saying he's a hero? No, we don't see that. We do, however, see a lot of people putting up a lot of money, which for a lot of people can be even more courageous. If you're seriously, if you're saying like, I'm going to take a portion of my resources and allocate to defending, defending this man. So my point is not that there are no strong men or strong people, but then in places like New York in these big cities, you are more likely to see people say, I better keep my head down and not engage. And I was saying this to Glenn Beck earlier. I don't think the problem is that evil exists. I think the problem is that good men do nothing. Yeah, it's a great quote for a reason. And you go back to the Declaration of Independence. You know, they pledged their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor because that's what it takes to defend a country. And that's look, we're only the, the land of the free if we are, in fact, the home of the brave. And it does take courage, whether it's to cut a check, to show up to an event, to participate. You got to make the current system work or it is going to fail. Strength also is kind of uh, like Darwin would say, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, but the most adaptable to change. It's the most adaptable mm -hmm. humans that get by, which I think is why people aren't stepping up sometimes is because they want to just get by. They want to fit in to survive. But, you know, sometimes you need people to break the mold. I want to I want to jump. Can, to I, can I just kind of yeah, I yeah. want to piggyback on that because I think that's a very, very good point. Were you finished, though? Yeah. I'm not sure. OK, so I think that's a very good point. And one thing I would argue is that Virtue is what makes you adaptable, right? A person who's living a life of vice is taking the path of least resistance. And what they're doing is engaging in behaviors that feel good for them in the moment rather than behaving rationally, making a long-term plan and behaving based on what's going to be good for them down the line. When you're able to do that, when you're able to use your rational faculties to like subordinate your passions to what's going to be good for you in the long run, you can adapt to many different kinds of situations. But if you've made yourself uh, custom simply to or accustomed simply to doing whatever feels good for you. Well, once the dynamic changes, you're going to have absolutely no idea how to interact with the world. I want to jump to this story from TimCast.com. Montana governor signs bill defining male and female. Governor Greg Gianforte was lobbied by his adult son to oppose Senate Bill 458 and other bills regulating gender issues. They say he signed Senate Bill 458 into law on May 19th. The bill states the term female refers to a member of the human species who under normal development has XX, chromo XX chromosomes and produces or would produce relatively large, relatively immobile gametes or eggs during her life cycle and has a reproductive and endocrine system oriented around the production of those gametes, including an individual who would otherwise fall within this definition, but for a biological or genetic condition. Additionally, the state will not recognize male to mean a member of the human species who under normal development has XY chromosomes and produces or would produce small mobile gametes or sperm during his life cycle and has a reproductive and endocrine system oriented around the production of those gametes, including an individual who would otherwise fall within this definition, but for biological or genetic condition. So I'm curious if they include in this any, uh, anything pertaining to intersex, because there there are uh, several different um, genetic uh, uh circumstances where a person may uh, have XY chromosomes be totally appear totally female. And that's like androgen insensitivity disorder or syndrome or something like that. So someone's biologically male, but their body does not in any way react to testosterone. So when they're born, they look like girls and they grow up, they look like girls. And it's like, hey, wait a minute, that's actually a guy whose testosterone never worked. And then there's also people, um, there's a variety of uh, syndromes where people could be XYY or XXY. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how it defines them. Yeah, I, I will say, however, this is uh, particularly interesting considering the transgender rep, you know, in, in Montana 
We uh, mentions, uh, mentioned in the article, the bill was one of several gender related policies passed during a contentious legislative session, prompting a vitriolic protest from transgender identifying representative Zoe Zephyr that led to an official censure. The fact that we've come to the point where we have to define male and female is, is, is fascinating to me. And there was, a, there was an article I was reading recently, I think it was the Daily Mail, that referred to a transgender male, that is somebody who is male but wants to be a woman, as a female. And the media does this thing, which is very strange, where they will call males females and females male. I think that's why they have to do this. Mm. So what, what happens is, first, we say, we, we hear, man is a social construct. Women is a social construct. You can be a biological male, but be a woman if you're trans. That's what the left argues. Then they started just once again changing the words and saying trans female. Now, if you're born male, but want to be female, they call you transgender female, which is not and never was the actual description of, of what the person was. Yeah, exactly. And so this is something I've noticed where conservatives are now shocked that the left has redefined male and female, which is perplexing to me because why would that be shocking when they redefine man and woman? Why would you think they redefine those words, but they're not going to redefine male and female and strip them of all meaning? Well, of course they were going to. You can't like retreat into that linguistic territory we, and expect them not to muddle that up either. And we had uh, Lance from the serfs, the leftist. I said, someone asked, what, what is a woman? And he says, easy, an adult human female. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, okay, so trans women are not women. He goes, no, they are. Trans women are female, he said. Yeah, yeah. I was just I'm, thinking about Lance. I'm I like, said, that, that makes no sense. I explained to him that men that transition to be trans women are trans women and men at the same time. They don't stop being one to become the other. They, they become both. And he was like, no, that's not what they think. But but Doesn't I think, what he, was, think. He, yeah, he was telling me like what the current brainwashing is, is that they don't. But the reality is, you never stop being human when you become a trans man or a trans woman. You're well, still a human. You're still a man. And now you're a trans woman and a man and a but, human. But uh, Ian's completely well, right. He's touching on if something. You, if you're an adult human male, you're a man. And then if you are transgender, you're a trans woman, but you are still an adult human male. Well, oh, sorry. I Go just ahead. think that the definition is pretty good and it, it does get after what you say, but for a biological or genetic condition. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that would be the things right. that you were alluding to. Uh, so, you know, but, but there's the, the interesting thing there then is there may be someone who presents completely as female because of like androgen insensitivity and has spent their whole life believing they're a woman only to find out when they're in their you know late 20s. So what does that mean? Do they lose protections or are people going yeah. it, to? I, mean, I, I think I, I look forward to the day that we're back focused on that like 0 0.01, 0 0.005. <laughs> percent of the population I, I hope that's where we get back to because yeah. right now we're talking about it to the point where oh you have to introduce your five-year-old to this and buy them yep. gear at target i mean this is just a crazy place and it's on on purpose frankly not for a lot of people that are struggling with it i think the real question is you know why are so many people struggling with it you know so uh you went from in in 2013 in the united states i think there were two gender clinics and now you have hundreds if not thousand plus of them all over the country like what happened uh, all yeah. of human history, you don't have this. Now, suddenly, it's everywhere. I think the real question is, why? Well, there social, were also just two media. genders back then, and now there's hundreds across the country. But social media is a big factor, and I think endocrine disruptors are, big, are a big factor. Mm. So I think, it, I, 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 I was wondering this, you know, I was listening to some old, old rock, and didn't it, am I just wrong about this, that rock stars used to be a little bit older and gruffer and thicker, like... I don't know. Men just seemed manlier back in the day. Dirty. Dirtier. Yeah, definitely dirtier. Yeah. But maybe that's just how media, you know, portrayed people yeah. and now they're trying to change it or something. But there, there is a trope among millennials where they're like, 
you watch these old movies and you're like, wait a minute, that dude was 30? They look like they're 50. Why yeah. is it that everybody looks so much younger today? Yeah. I'm wondering if endocrine disruptors have been screwing with us for the past couple of decades, the past few generations, because plastics are a new thing for human civilization. Plastics and vaccines. I mean, if you look at RFK, RFK for, you know, uh, the Democratic presidential candidate, uh, he's talked about vaccines for a long time. You know, uh, look, I got vaccinated against everybody. I was in the army. I mean, I, I didn't know that you could function as an adult without getting shots until I got out of the army. And my doctor said, oh, yeah, you don't actually need shots. But like every time I went to see a doctor, I was getting vaccinated against something. But if you but, look at kids that came up in this era over the past, you know, few decades, uh, they've never gone up in an era where they didn't have lots of vaccines. Some people say it's that. I, I just think we should have an honest uh, investigation as to yeah, what did change. I think I don't. I wouldn't want to isolate just vaccines. I think big pharma in general, mm. the amount of pills, medications, whatever you want to call it, we're giving kids more shots than ever. We're giving them more pills than ever. We are. We've got chemicals loaded up on our food. Something's happening. Yeah, I, it's I plastics. Think, it's birth control too. People yeah, don't, right. people don't acknowledge that. There's a lot of excess estrogen that just gets peed back out into the water supply. I I was thinking like. I learned about amphetamines and like dare and like third grade. And I was like, oh, amphetamines are like, they get you going there. They get you speed. They're, they're nasty drugs. Like the gateway leads you to amphetamines. Amphetamines are the dark. And then all of a sudden Adderall, it's an amphetamine. And it's like, yeah. I think it's, I think it's like four different well, amphetamines or something like that. Like it's a combination. Well, and you're actually considering giving those to children. Like I, you're not, but considering they do. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, my point is, when we're talking about first, you know, because the original subject was male and female and trans stuff, I would not be surprised if, well, I, I will first say it is a fact. Look this up. There was a birth control that masculinized uh, young girls uh, It because of uh, the exposure to this birth control in women resulted in the female fetus becoming masculinized. Mm -hmm. And that we, we read about it on the show. So birth control is doing this. Then we also know that plastics are endocrine disruptors. That's why use, we use the, the glass bottles. And uh, Liquid Death had a funny commercial recently about people getting plastic shoved in their bodies to make their like butts bigger. And they're like yeah. plastic surgery or whatever. It was funny. Because they're, they're all about using aluminum cans instead of plastics because plastics are bad. But I do think a large component is social pressures, which is why we see typically it's like the overwhelming majority of trans kids are female because they're being pressured by social media. But I, then I do think one of the reasons we're seeing some of this may just be people are suffering from endocrine disruption. Their well, bodies aren't producing the right hormones in the bright, right, right levels. And this is not some right-wing conspiracy theory, right? The data has shown that testosterone has been decreasing for the past few decades now. I mean, I, this is a real oh, problem. Yeah, I was just learning yeah. about apparently when a man sees a woman, comes into contact with a woman, his testosterone spikes by 20%, roughly. Mm. This is some something I just learned. I don't know if it's real or not, mm. but it sounds cool. And so I'm wondering if all this interaction with women digitally, like watching mm. movies with women in it and watching porn, for instance, is getting this like the body stops producing the testosterone spike because it's not getting the reciprocity from the woman. So it realizes like, oh, okay, she's not really there. She's not really there. And then when you see a woman in real life, she's not really there. Like we're becoming adapted that's, to that's, not that's, have this testosterone spike. I hear what you're saying, but I feel like that's way too, uh, that's too many leaps happening it's there. It's a long if, shot. If, if anything, looking at all these women would increase men's testosterone. You would think so. Maybe. But then if it happens over and over and over and over and you're not getting the the value of the testosterone the body might just stop 
doing it because it's like well, well there's at least a correlation between wealth and uh, poverty right so if you look what's going what's different in wealthy countries than in poor countries and there are so many different things but i do think that, that it'd be a worthwhile subject but today i mean look this uh this uh, professor at brown she she got canceled she was one of the first cancel culture people in it i mean she's an atheist professor at brown and she started going well what happens with like okay there's someone who's transgender and then in their peer group, once one person identifies as transgender, lots of other people in that school or in that peer group start to identify as transgender too. And she coined it sudden onset gender dysphoria um, because she wanted to investigate it and gave it a label. But the whole APA, uh, you know, Psychological Association, went after her, canceled her, got her unpublished and everything. She had written scholarly journals and she was going at it from an academic perspective They've literally worked to kill any serious academic study into, yeah, what does explain this? And it was just mm -hmm. an intellectual curiosity, like, well, why is it all of a sudden spreading to other people versus, you know, the biological or genetical issues that were referenced in the Montana law? Yeah, well, this is also interesting, too, right, because they'll argue that this idea of social contagion is also a far-right conspiracy theory. But the president of WPATH, which is like the leading transgender activism organization on the planet has acknowledged that social contagion is driving in some part the massive surge of kids who are now identifying as trans yeah you also call it peer pressure that's what yeah. we used to call it in the 80s well isn't it so crazy that they would even try to get away with saying teens aren't doing things because of peer pressure of course they are. Dude, and how could you say there's this one category of behavior that's <laughs> immune to peer pressure among Smoking, teens? It's also that's insane. It's a way for a kid to take control of their parents and their their the law basically control from their parents. Yeah, that's if, a, if a 14 year old can be like, now because I say this, you all have to bow to me, and I'm 13. Mm -hmm. But like, what a power surge for a young human to be and able to be like, all I got to do is say I'm trans, and, and then, then I can. Depending on the state. The doctors will be like, come right in and we'll have those old boys removed. You can get like teachers weird. fired if they don't don't agree with you. You can get politicians fired. Like it's crazy at the but, amount of but, psychotic powers involved. Yes. No, it's true. It allows you to just jump in social standing massively, which is what young people want. They want it's, more it's, social it's, status. It's, it's not so much about social status. And Ian's point is talking about authority and control but of they're the legal the same. system. They're the same, right? The more social status you have, the more control you have over the system. No, I disagree. Like the most you, you social can... status you could possibly have is to be in full control socially and legally. I disagree. Um, people want to just give you things, be around you. And, you know, in terms of authority, you could be the most hated person in the world, but everyone gives you stuff. But I would so, say I would say that somebody who is in a position of legal authority but is hated has a lower social status than someone who's in a position of legal authority and who everybody I, loves. I, I, I'm I, saying that they both play a role in social status. Like if our laws privilege sure, a certain sure, group of people, women, they have a higher social status, no? Like to a certain degree, you can argue that people are attracted to someone of great governmental wealth, mm -hmm. but there's a balance. Yeah. If, if you are the ugliest, most out of shape, smelliest, you know, dude, living in a basement. All right, I get it. You can, you can, Ian, you can go out <laughs> in New York and you can dress up in, in a in historical con period, according to New York law, and they are forced mm -hmm. to give you what you yeah. want. You can force a massive multi-billion dollar corporation to do whatever you want. That doesn't mean you have any good social status. Yeah, and that's kids in general have that's no social issue, status. That's the issue, actually, that people of no social status are going and exploiting the system. Well, but I would say that if there are laws that are written that tell people they're not allowed to disagree with you, there's social status in that, right? When, when our legal is, system privileges is, groups of people, that everybody's privilege, social no status. Is. Yeah, 100%. So if the law says anyone can do whatever they want, there's no social status. Yeah.
But my argument is not that social status. I, I understand that there has to be a differential. Like some people have to be lower in social status than other for the, others for like the legal question to apply. My point is simply that when one group of people are set aside by the law and said they have special privileges, that increases social status. But I'm talking about how the law does not protect a group of people. It's random. The New York City law says anything you do is protected. It's literally anything. Mm. So the, 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 a, a homeless person of no social status has control in a system if they choose to. That's not social status. That's just a broken system. I'm not. So my initial response to what Ian was saying is that creating these quote unquote transgender protections boosts the social status of people who have that identify like that identifying and label. What I'm trying to clarify is that's not the case. You don't think so? You don't think that that boosts their social status? The fact it, that they it, go around it, telling people it, they have to use their pronouns or that employers because can't discriminate on that basis? Because anyone can do it for anything, right? So the law doesn't say you have to use someone's she, her, he, and pronouns. Mm -hmm. It says anyone who says anything has to be respected. Well, I'm just going to say in New York, if you're if you're a black man and defend uh, anything conservative, then you must be a white supremacist, right? So, I mean, well, I, I do think there's something, I don't know whether it's called social status or whatever, but you have... All these people that it's like if you step out of what they're, you know, uh, one of my colleagues referred to somebody, you know, we don't need any more brown faces that aren't brown voices or black faces that aren't black voices mm. or things like that. And it's like, well, you know, Tim Scott's like, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and so there is this kind of, I don't know, heresy code. I don't know whether it's status or whatever, but kind of this whole kind of woke culture has got its own heresy code. There is no doctrine of grace over there. You cross mm -hmm. the line, you're canceled. And so I think to your point, yeah, there's a, but that's highly selective in terms of where you would even have status. I mean, yeah. some some areas is not going to, your status goes even worse and maybe even in peril. When they mm. say that anyone can dress in a historical period costume, they're not privileging transgender people. They are basically saying anyone can wear and dress and be called whatever they demand. And, and you must adhere to it. If they said, if someone who is tra uh, traditionally male appears in non-traditional, you know, or, or appears as female, presents in female stereotypical clothing, using female names, you cannot discriminate on this basis. That would be outlining just trans people. But New York's law, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It says you can dress in historical period. It, like those words actually appear in the law, which means you could dress up like a pirate in New York City and say, I'm pirate gender and it's protected. <laughs> not even yeah. asking. And your pirates could be R and Matey. And it's that's not a group of people. Pirates are not protected, but they are now. That's my point. Yeah. Pirates are not protected gender in New York City. Yeah, well, you are a privileged class. This is something that Jordan Peterson said in response to Bill C-16, which I thought was a great observation, which is that what a lot of these protection laws do is they enshrine um, a person's fashion choice. As yep. like a legally protected identity. That's what I'm wondering. Could I go in and chain mail or, or like plate mail? Yes. And be yes. Like, I identify yes. as a knight from the Middle it, Ages. So so look, I've brought this up time and time again where the, the lawyers told me and I will get laughed out of the courtroom. But the New York C Civil Rights Law uh, Human Rights Commission says historical period. I have no idea why. That's, yeah. that's kind of insane. It's not gender. If right. I identify but as it, a but knight. But it literally says it. Meaning you can put on a full plate armor and be like, these are my clothes. We talked about this a while ago, right? Yeah, and that's right. We actually had a lawyer on the show, and they were basically saying that. I think we were joking about wearing a fursuit or something and saying yeah. like that, and he said, I mean, legally, yeah, but you'd probably get laughed out of the courtroom. Well, no, I talked, to, I talked to several human rights lawyers who told me that. Mm. I, so this is 2019 or whatever. I call a bunch of lawyers, and I said, what would happen if someone did this? And they said, everyone knows the point of the law. You'd get laughed out of the courtroom. The problem is now is they've expanded it, 
there's 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 no way this makes sense when they added the words historical period because now it's you can dress up like like I mentioned you know put on a safari costume and a big white fake beard and call yourself the colonel and they can't they that's protected it's historical period is protected yeah I think at some point you know a lot of the countries just like yeah we're gonna move on you guys go ahead and do that um, and we're not gonna go along with it and that's kind of where this whole effort to counter that it goes with Bud Light like man we're just you do what it go do your thing as an adult whatever you are but i'm not drinking bud light anymore we talked about that last night how do you see like the value and differential between political power and i guess private sector power like well there's obviously some sort of correlation between power and money right so uh, i don't think that's new to our culture or any other place uh, around the world um but you know if you look at if you look at um you know, influence, uh, you know, at some point, cultural influence really drives the politics. I mean, a lot of times people say in a, in a functioning democracy, you get the government you deserve, you get what you voted for. And people will get frustrated by what we get. And it's it's hard to believe that, you know, you could have, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, win 80% of the vote in her district. And, you know, um, you know, AOC win 80% of the vote in her district. And people love them both, but they're so very different. And I think that gets to like our constitution actually is designed to have that kind of flexibility. But somehow in the era that we're in, there's this idea that everything has to be federalized. And I think that's the problem. It's like, yeah, you can actually do your thing in New York and do it your way. Ohio, we're not going to do that probably. Uh, and, you know, if you really want to, you could maybe do it in a certain area, but we're not going to change our laws like New York did. And Texas may do it totally different. But if you want to make it all one big federal policy and just cram it down your throat, that's the tension. People are mm -hmm. trying to seize power in Washington and impose their will on everyone else. Yeah, I think one massive problem with the direction the United States has gone and really over the past hundred years is to create an analogy. We've gone from a neighborhood to an apartment building. So when you're in a neighborhood, everyone has their own house. They have their own lawn. They can make decisions about their house. They can add something onto it, subtract something from it, have a garden, not have a garden, own chickens, whatever it is, right? And you're all houses. You're all in the neighborhood. You all have the same zip code, but you're able to make decisions about your own property. There's some sovereignty. There might be an HOA that puts some limitations on it, but overall, you can make your own choice for your own property. Now, it's like the United States has become a condominium and each state is its own little condo and you're able to make decisions and it's technically your own property as a state or as the governor of a state or as the people of a state, but you're not fully sovereign because there's a certain pattern you have to follow so that you don't move outside of the status quo of what is like architecturally sound for that building. But Ron DeSantis was able to tell him to shove it during mm -hmm. the COVID tr attempted shutdowns. So you would still consider him in the apartment complex, but just like I would say he's starting to make lives. moves out. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that like he's sort of starting to shift the paradigm because what happens is when you have an incredibly strong federal government, each state becomes more affected by decisions made in other states in a way where they historically were not when the government didn't have as much oversight or when the federal government didn't have as much oversight. And so what I think DeSantis is doing, and again, analogies limp and where this one falls apart is that we can actually you know, disassemble the condominium and put people back onto their own property. And I think governors like DeSantis move us in that direction by pulling away from federal oversight. I want to jump to another crazy story. Hard segue. We had this from the Daily Mail. Second Hunter Biden IRS whistleblower comes forward. Agent claimed he was passed over for promotion and removed from tax investigation team for claiming the president's son was getting preferential treatment. They say a new case agent who has not been identified 
since he was fired last last week without any explanation after working on the Hunter Biden investigation since 2018. His complaint comes days after it was revealed the DOJ removed his entire team, according to his supervisor. IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel had told Congress the agency wouldn't retaliate against whistleblowers in April. So if you are the son of uh, the president, you get away with committing crimes. If you're the son of this president. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it <laughs> right, right, the right, president. Right, right, right. Because, because Don Jr. couldn't get away with not committing crimes, right? Like right. They were threatening him when he had They were trying to lock him up for literally nothing. They, literally they put his face on Time Magazine, wrote <laughs> red-handed, and he didn't do anything. <laughs> like, you can't catch someone red-handed when they actually didn't do anything. Man. It's wild. But this is how they lie, right? It has to be as far as possible from the truth. It's not a small little light. It's not a white light. We caught this guy doing something red-handed when they didn't even have evidence because nothing happened yeah nothing happened you know who has been caught red-handed all right the guy who has pictures smoking a crack pipe and then that's who's been caught red-handed look in the look not only did he get caught handed red-handed the the whole uh coalition of intelligence uh, experts got caught red-handed concocting the story to cover for hunter biden's laptop yep and look kudos to tucker carlson for highlighting this in the 2020 election cycle, mm -hmm. but frankly, it got dropped right away. One of the guys in the middle of that, Tony Bobolinsky, uh, came forward, did the interview with Tucker Carlson and said, look, if it's Russian disinformation, how am I carbon copied on the same email? Uh, I got mm. an email. We were part of the same deal flow. Like, how did I wind up? This is true. I, I yeah. know this is true. And I told you know everyone at the time, look, I know Tony. I will vouch for this guy. He's telling you the truth. Uh, and the story was dead. Everyone killed it. And, you know, this is why what happened, what Matt Taibbi is working on at, at Twitter and the Twitter files is so important because you see, they weren't just doing this at Twitter. They were doing this all over. Uh, and it might not be the exact same cast of characters that wrote the cover story for Hunter Biden's laptop, but it is the same coalition of three letter agencies that are using the power of the government to cancel speech in America. And whether it was political speech or COVID speech, you still think back to like, I mean, for me, I always like, like uh, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, big deal at West Point, big deal for the country, very successful general, uh, I think very successful president and underappreciated, but his farewell address, he said, you know, cautioned against the military industrial complex. We saw that play out for a long time. Used to be the left was uh, anti-military industrial complex. They can't get enough of it oh, lately. It. Um, but the other thing he cautioned against was the scientific technical elite. And if St. Fauci doesn't epitomize the uh, uh, scientific technical elite, look what was going on in the midst of all this stuff. And at the center of dominating both of those are these three little agencies canceling and covering and all for political influence operations for the they, left. They accused a sitting president of treason and they targeted his family. And now we have questions about what Joe Biden's doing. And I tell you, the way it feels to me, what it feels like to me is this, the, the nation is captured by corrupt elites, the establishment. That's what we refer to it as. Maybe it needs a different name. Maybe we call it the deep state. But these people don't care about this country. And there's something else. We were talking about this last night when we, we, we discussed the fall of empire. The idea was that every 250 years, the, uh, they say, you know, empires collapse. Phil was talking about this. He's like, well, the U.S. hasn't been an empire for 250 years. It's only really since the end of uh, World War II. I think the fall of the American empire would be the greatest thing for the United States. Because the American empire, as people refer to it, is this, it's, it's this uh, expeditionary force that we've sent all over the world with military bases, insane foreign policy, world policing. And what we need to get back to is our own borders, our own people, our own jobs, our own economy. And that's what Trump was doing. 
The people who oppose him are those who want the American empire. They want war in Syria. They want pipelines in Europe. They want to control various parts of the Middle East. And we as Americans don't care about any of that, mm-hmm. but we're still along for the ride because they're taking us there. Yeah, no, it's very real. And one thing you mentioned about the left loving the uh, military industrial complex I mean, this is one of Trump's greatest accomplishments, to be honest, that he pushed the warmongers and the warhawks out of the Republican Party. He turned them into Democrats. And the a certain Democrats amount of them, said, he brought Bolton. Yeah, look, look, I, and this is something I've said repeatedly uh, about Trump, does not surround himself with the best people. I mean, he has really made some some bad picks. Uh, not some great his best. picks as well. <laughs> exactly. Not sending his best. Not all of his picks were bad, that's for certain, but he definitely made some mistakes there. However, my, my greater point is, so many people, so many hawks uh, were able to find refuge in the Democratic Party because they said uh, initially, or at least they claimed to say, we don't like war. And they said, you know what? We don't like war, but we don't dislike it as much as we dislike mean tweets. I you have know? a mixed mean bag are bad. on military-industrial complex because I hated it from 2006 when I found out it existed. I'd never known. Now you love it. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> like, you know, I'm kind of pro-industrial military. If we didn't have American military bases all over Earth, then what would be the what would be the other? Like, I had never thought about, like, what would be the, the, the other option mm. if we got rid of the American military-industrial complex? Well, there would probably be a Chinese military-industrial complex. There would probably be, like, Russian invasions all one. across. And then yeah. that would take... So like, I don't like, I'm not like just, Hey, America die. I'm not trying to like stomp it out because like what it's so bad. Get rid of it. Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Look, I enlisted in the army. The cold war was going on. Right. And you know, people think about the cold, the Soviet empire was there. Uh, they were the communists. We were the good guys. Uh, and you know, I wanted to be part of defending America. And so I look at the time hunt for red October was a big deal. The submarines and the tanks and everything. And I was like, I don't want to be in any of those, but I'll jump at airplanes. That'll be great. So I wanted to be an airborne ranger. Uh, got the chance to go do that. I get over to Germany. The wall was still up. I mean, we had live ammo on our vehicles. We were prepared for the Soviets to come rolling over. And the wall goes down. I was in um, Bad Tolz, Germany, the German Alps in the south, uh, training with 10 special forces groups. And this guy stands on the podium and he goes, write this day down. This is going to be one of the most famous days in history, 9 November 1989. And I mean, I was a private, so I didn't say this out loud, but I was like, oh yeah, pretty bold intro to your talk, you know? But he goes, the wall just came down and we didn't know whether he was real or not. So like that Thanksgiving, go into Berlin and uh, see people for the first time. I could speak a little bit of German at the time. This guy could speak pretty good English. And he's like this, is it like this everywhere? And we were in the Kudam district, which is kind of like Times Square, you know, Berlin's version of uh, New York's Times Square. And I was like, no, you know, we have small towns and everything. He goes, no, the stores are open at night. And there's fresh milk. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to explain like a 7-Eleven or something to him. And he goes, no. And there's like always food on the shelves and like everyone can go in. Like his mind was blown. I was like, yeah, you want everyone to go in because you sell more stuff. But he was told like we were even more poor than they were. We had two blocks for show. Uh, and, you know, the, the elites could go in and get things. But, you know, the regular people went somewhere else. Uh, so the flow at the end of the Cold War was not into there other than a little bit of sense of curiosity. The flow was how do we be more like the West? You know, when I was in high school, Ronald Reagan rode through my town on a train and I got to see him speak in Sydney, Ohio. And he said, you know, a lot of things at that time. One of his famous quotes is freedom's never more than one generation away from extinction. Mm -hmm. But we're in an era right now where people say they want what was on the other side of the wall. They want they come in in Congress and say they're they want socialism. They want democratic socialism. And I'll just tell you the place where America is a force for good. So to your point, Ian, um, the Korean Peninsula, you look South Korea, south of the 38th parallel, 
first world economy, first world healthcare, mission sending country, uh, all kinds of things. They're a global donor to help others around the world. North of the 38th parallel, they had the other ideology. Paradise. Uh, yeah. Absolute paradise, paradise right up there, in right North now. Korea. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, nothing, and so, nothing going wrong there. But for America intervening, the whole Korean peninsula would be like North Korea. Yep. And But for China, I mean, look what China did. We could have made the whole peninsula like South Korea, but China stopped it. So look, we do need a strong military. But we don't need an empire. I mean, I think, look, one of the best uh, book titles, I don't know, uh, Republic, Not an Empire. We, What did you, you know, the question to Ben Franklin, what have you wrought, sir? A republic, if you can keep it. And the real thing is we lost our way. How do we get back to a constitution, a, a government small enough to fit inside that constitution? Well, you know, yeah. oh, sorry. What concerns me is like the Spanish-American War at the end of the 1800s. Uh, Cuba was controlled by the Spanish Empire. Yes. So the United States decided we're going to liberate Cuba. They, they attacked, they, they dispelled the Spanish fleet, they liberated Cuba, they didn't take it, we could have made Cuba American territory, but instead, because of the righteous that we were, we, we let them become independent, and then they became a communist threat. So like, at some point, where the value of, con of being the one in control of the strength and conquering and, and governing the world... Like there is value to that, yeah. but I'm just terrified. I, I don't know. No, I think that's that's actually a really good point. My my eyes have been opened. We we should just go in and start taking over other countries right now because we're better than they are. We should take Name a country. Their economies are usually bad, right? There's a lot of crime and corruption. Mexico, boom. Let's you know, we, we, we already fought a Mexican-American war and we, we didn't keep it. We could have, we could have. But the president, who was it at the time? Was it Polk? I can't remember. Some he, hippie. He, he was like, nah, we're not going <laughs> to keep Mexico. We're going to give Mexico back. Dove. And people in America were actually very much in favor of keeping it after we won that war. And if we did, would there be a big problem with cartels? Now, I'm not seriously suggesting that we invade other countries, but fair question. Mm -hmm. If the United States did keep Mexico after that war, yeah. would there be a problem with cartels and crime and all that stuff? I don't think so. I think there'd still be massive demand for drugs. I mean, that's a big problem. I mean, as long as there's demand, there's going to be supply. That's the problem. But, but right now, the challenge we're dealing with is, look, drugs have been bad. They've always been bad. It's a bad idea to take them, in my opinion. Uh, but now they're being poisoned with fentanyl. Right. And so what, where's the fentanyl coming from? It's coming from China. And, you know, look, I just got to think we got to stop that. We're voting on bills today. And look, thankfully, this is now bipartisan stopping the fentanyl because, you know, there's a girl in my district, Lizzie Murphy, 21 years old, took a Xanax at a party. Bad idea. But it was laced with fentanyl. One pill, one party killed her. Oh, right. And so yeah. that's happened in tens of thousands of times, like 70,000 Americans dead with fentanyl. And to your point, if we had control of Mexico, look, there might still be cartels supplying something, but we would not have this kind of crisis on our hands today. And that's part of the challenge today since, uh, you know, the question is, can we unite to deal with this problem and so many others? Without conquering? Um, hopefully without conquering. Do you think yeah. we can? Uh, I, I think there. I think we can. I, I'm certainly not calling for an invasion of Mexico. <laughs> what he's saying uh, is, wait, I think wait, if wait, we wait. went to war on, in Mexico, we would probably not lose. What about? But I don't Canada? know. What's war in Iraq and Afghanistan? Look, if, if this was all business, I mean, Canada, we would have already acquired them, right? I mean, but you know, they, they have like 40, 50 million people. I mean, it would be a pretty easy acquisition. Uh, they would have better government than they have today. On the other hand, look, they've got Trudeau and all this socialism, cancel culture galore all kinds of the you know utopia that the far left in America wants. I would trade one far left uh, person who wants to fundamentally remake America with critical theory Marxism for one 
you know, freedom loving Canadian. Well, I mean, I might, I might give you a 10 for one deal. You can have 10 of these far left crazy people uh, for one like freedom loving Canadian. Canada or Venez- has or Venezuelan. Or, or, or Venezuelan or yeah, Cuban. Trying to escape people communism. who are like, hey, communism is bad. America is the dream yeah. and they want to be here. Just, we're, we're better off with just every, travel. Just travel. I feel like we are on the cusp of, of, of the end of the American military industrial complex, or at least that's one option. And I'm, I'm really like considering like if that does happen and we become just the United States of isolationism, what's, what are we going to do? Like when another country starts taking over its neighbors? Well, th- th- so this is an interesting Mind question, right? Business. I, I, I want to, yeah. So I want to mention something. There's this phrase like isolationism. And I understand like, this is just sort of the term people use politically, but I don't think not getting involved in wars is, accurately described as isolationism right like you're not i mean if you're still trading with other countries if you have pro-social interactions with other countries you're not isolated you're just not fighting them i think with the question of other countries being invaded there's a real question there there's a real concern because there are human rights violations all over the world but then also there are human rights violations all over the world i mean how do we decide yeah, which ones we get involved with and that's fighting w- who has the most resources we can acquire that's mm-hmm. why i'm like it's just it's just all bs we're not invading china over there over their concentration camps mm-hmm. we're look not at, we're look not, at eisenhower though go back to eisenhower look he he didn't get called an isolationist he ended the he, you know pushed for the end of the uh Korean War, you know, it ended, you know, as he was campaigning to be president. But, you know, you look, you look at, you look at uh, winding that war down. He could have continued it and waged it. Uh, at the end of World War II is the last time we had as much debt as we have today, right? And and we knew, like, you can't, you can't have that much debt relative to the size of your economy. So the entire global monetary system was reset, and everyone knew you have to pay down the debt. So Eisenhower said, we can't get involved everywhere. You have to be focused. And I think that's the time we're in today. Uh, we have to convince people, look, you can't live with this much debt. And even if you say, oh, we can print more money. Well, haven't we just tested this that, no, well, you can print some money, but you're not going to be able to buy the same amount of stuff. Inflation <laughs> is real, yeah. right? And so you can't just print your way out of this. You actually have to get back to the discipline and focus that scarcity produces. And, you know, uh, frankly, Republic uh, keeps you that way. But if you want to try to build an empire, that's why empires fail is because they overconsume the resources that they've got. And that's really what's happening. And the neocons have done as much damage in terms of debt and destruction of freedom as the far left is in our country. And that's why Trump's presidency was so important. We haven't fully purged the party of these folks, but we need to finish the job and frankly, make sure the, the neocons are homeless. Well, it's, it's a complicated question. I would say the, the left has still done more damage just because of the denigration to the family, which is the fundamental social building block. But fundamentally, I agree with you that neoconservatives have done a massive amount of damage. And frankly, I wouldn't really draw a distinction between the neoconservatives and the left. All of the ideological founders of the neoconservative movement were either Marxist or former Marxists, right? Irving Kristol said a neoconservative is a, a leftist who's been mugged by reality. Well, I'm sorry. Reality doesn't mug you. The truth sets you free, but whoever sold you that Marxist ideology did mug you, and it's not true. But what the neoconservatives couldn't see was that it wasn't reality that was corrupt, it was their insane ideology that was, but they still stuck to it. And they believed firmly, and you can tell based on their foreign policy that they believe this, that social order could be fundamentally restructured in ways foreign to the nature of man or a culture that's being governed through the barrel of a gun 
and with the threat of force. Of course we can go to Iraq or Afghanistan and turn these countries into modern democracies because government can do anything. You threaten force strategically in the right areas, you can completely reshape a culture, an entire culture. I mean, these are fundamentally Marxist ideas. It's I don't really think they work. They well, don't. It works they over like, every time over the course exactly. of 80 years and just genocide and the, the eradication <laughs> of living memory. So we don't know, like the Romans just transformed Rome. It used to be, you know, a lot of different countries before it was the Roman Empire. Uh, but now with modern media, there's no way to do that without everyone watching the, the torture and the and annihilation of, of humanity. So we, we kind of reject the idea of like going into Iraq and just killing everyone mm -hmm. and planting the seed of Americanism that didn't wasn't going to happen. No one would have tolerated that. Never. So I think this top down you, you, transformation doesn't work anymore. It's not even happening in the United States. In Afghanistan, in a hundred years, if we created the culture there, then I think it would be like South Korea. Yeah, but it would be so brutal. It would have to be so like killing people for speaking out against the new regime. Kind of brutal. It wouldn't. It wouldn't track with our modern culture. Yeah, and, and it didn't. And that's why we just said we shouldn't be in there and we should leave. So I mean, it's, your, it's insane social engineering, right? It's completely insane social engineering. What, in similar vein, but what are your thoughts on this Ukrainian war? Like, how, what's your foreseal for, like, the future of the end of this conflict? Yeah, I'm one of a small group of people that's never voted for anything for Ukraine. And it's not because I'm sympathetic to Putin or anything. It was an unjust invasion of Ukraine. Um, and, you know, clearly the Russians have... I think it, it, there's enough evidence to say they've 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 violated norms to the point where they're they're war crimes. These things aren't acceptable. Uh, but there was a there was a reason that there was a war there, and it was preventable. I think. Um, look, you you can never say it wouldn't have happened if Donald Trump was president, but we know that it didn't happen when he was president. Uh, and uh, look, weakness invites aggression. You know, Joe Biden just oozes weakness everywhere. And when you look at how this war is being waged, it is a proxy war. It's undeclared. It's undefined. You know, there's no mission. It's like, well, help Ukraine. Help them do what? Um, <laughs> you know, in, 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 oh, well, stop the Russians. Okay, look, I mean, it, there is no military school anywhere where that's going to get you a, a passing grade on a mission statement. Is, is the mission to make sure that this war doesn't spread to NATO? Is the mission to make sure there are no Russians in Ukraine? Does that include Crimea? Those are all different missions that need different resources. Is the mission regime change in Russia because you're going to have war crimes tribunals? Because you're not having war crimes tribunals unless there's regime change in Russia. So there are people in the State Department that want that. Victoria Nuland, who spent you know the better part of a decade working to engineer this war, uh, and it, it, frankly is like rooting for it to be bigger. Um, yeah, regime change in Russia, and. You know, look, the you know, basic uh, phrase, you know, ready, aim, fire. Where's the aim part? We haven't even defined the mission. I just sent a letter last week to Secretary Blinken, like, what do you say the mission is, Mr. Secretary? Because you're coming asking for more resources mm -hmm. to do what? Let's define the mission. And I think at some level, any of those could be just. I mean, it looks unjust what Putin did. So you could all go all the way to regime change. You could say, look. Ukraine's not part of NATO. It's just that we defend NATO. We're stopping right here, rooting for you, but our focus is here. But you should define it. And if you just have an open checkbook, frankly, it's the worst of all outcomes because the, the Ukrainians want their country. They will do anything to get it. You give them a lifeline and hope, but it's on purpose being turning these people into a meat grinder. So if you look at uh, you know Senator Mark Warner, who uh, you know, was talking about it. He's basically like celebrating the fact that it's a meat grinder. It's grinding down 
the Russian army. And of course, the unstated part is in it's grinding down the people of Ukraine as well. Um, that's not a just war. It's certainly not being waged justly. And so I do think you have to define the mission and you have to hold people account. If you don't define the mission, no one can be held accountable for success or failure. Is it, and that's on purpose, I think. It, yeah, I'm wondering if the lack of definition of a mission is because they want to keep it clandestine so that they're not overtly saying, we are involved, Vladimir Putin, just so you yep. know. So they're like, what? We don't even know if we're there. Like, So there, is that... What, is there some mystery that we're there or what we're doing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, really like the official seal yeah. hasn't been stamped yet, but I mean, the signs are there. It's lend lease at the very least, I think. But you think that's why they haven't declared an official mission statement? Cause they don't want to like push. They don't want the, they don't want the accountability for what uh, the outcome is. They, and frankly, they want the open checkbook. They want the cash to flow and they like the meat grinder. And look, it, these are the same people. If you look at Mark Warner, not only is he the guy celebrating this, he's the guy that introduces the Restrict Act. Yeah. And they say the Restrict Act is oh, a TikTok ban, except it doesn't ban TikTok. It goes after American citizens. It's completely Orwellian. It, it's worse than the Patriot Act. It is the Patriot Act for the Internet. And you look at who the neocons are. They all wanted you know, to spy on American citizens, but oh, just to keep them safe. What has that power been used to? It's been used to impose their will on uh, not just government, not just, uh, you know, the Trump campaign, but on average ordinary citizens in every layer. Mm. Uh, and, and why would we give them more power? They're essentially saying, gosh, if we had all the power of the Chinese Communist Party, we could keep you safe from the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> that's the Restrict Act. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because one point that's been mentioned here is the fact that our goals have been very vaguely defined, at least on the, the public facing front. And you see this anytime anyone wants to run some kind of scam or hustle the American people, right? You set a goal that's theoretically impossible to meet or that's very vague. So with BLM, BLM is a brilliant scam. Why? Well, because at what point can we say racism is over? It's ended. It's gone. Never. You'll never be able to say that. So someone's always going to be able to profit off of that brand. Similarly, if you don't define the, the goal that you have in Ukraine, you can keep throwing money at it, just like we did in Iraq, just like we did in Afghanistan. There were so many different stated goals at different times for what had to be done over there. I remember as a kid hearing this repeatedly on the radio, Operation Iraqi Freedom. This is about bringing freedom to Iraq. What does that mean, right? Like, when do we declare Iraq a free country? At what point does the United States say, all right, we've done our work and it's time to go home. We've, we've achieved our mission. After, it gives you license to stay as long as you want. After we completely wipe out their government and then leave. Now mm -hmm. that people are free. Now they're free. They're yeah. great. Yeah, great. Right. Things are whatever you want. Things are going to be awesome over there. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Go, uh, big update on the Restrict Act. I mean, relatively big. No one signed that thing in a month and a half. Looks like all that that horrible press that came out about it when Lindsey Graham was made a fool of on Jesse Waters' show. Uh, everyone, that was hilarious. It's, it's, it's like leprosy now. He's no like, I'm not on, on, on board with that. And he's like, yes, you are. You're a sponsor. Like, oh, I am. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fix that. And he's still a sponsor, Lindsay. Fix Is he that. still? Yeah. yeah. Three, three twenty seven. Because people are evil. Dude, Lindsay Graham. Do you know yeah. Lindsay personally? Uh, you know, I've met him, but I don't really know him. I, don't, I certainly... Do, haven't gotten to know. Is it like, do you guys even have a chance to get to know each other in Congress? I mean, some of them, we, we definitely uh, don't spend as much time between House and Senate. You know, I've gotten to know some of the more conservative senators over there. Well, you know, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, you know, Ron Johnson, Rick Scott, some of the conservative folks, Tim Scott, uh, folks that way in the House. I mean, there's colleagues that I've gotten to know great. They're some of my best friends, period, uh, anywhere ever. And I didn't meet them until I was started doing this. There's just a lot of really good people. That doesn't get enough attention. I mean, frankly, there's at least 
four or five dozen really good people fighting for the right things in the house, that's not enough to change everything, but it is changing things. Aren't people shocked? I mean, they saw this first week when we had the debate and the fight for who's going to be Speaker of the House, uh, and a lot of skeptics on, well, is McCarthy really going to do whatever? I mean, he's fighting, he's doing the stuff, and uh, I think a lot of us said, yeah, I think we're going to get there. And the reality is Republicans are stronger because of our narrow majority, because we did find a way to work together. Um, do, you th- do you think Congress is corrupt? It's not very fun. It's dysfunctional. And look, you know, one of the ones that I look at is post COVID, we, we can't get a healthcare committee. We can't get a dedicated committee on oversight for healthcare. Uh, healthcare is almost 25% of GDP. You know, when Medicaid passed in the sixties, uh, healthcare was like 6% of GDP. Mm-hmm. Then we started subsidizing it with, <laughs> with Medicare and Medicaid and every other thing. And now over 50% of the babies born in Ohio are born on Medicaid. So, you know, it is a massive takeover of the system and a lot of hospitals, like 80% of it is healthcare. So you go back to, you know, big pharma, we're like four and a half percent of the world's population. We take almost 40% of the world's prescription drugs. Like why is there this big demand for the uh, country? And I think in our country, we have kind of business interests that in a lot of ways have more influence over the politics than the politics have over the business interests. How come there's no committee on uh, far left extremism? You know, there is. I mean, frankly, when you look at um, one of the committees that we fought to get created is the Committee on Weaponization of Government. So you look at the woke and weaponized government, uh, this subcommittee that it's a part of the Judiciary Committee, but it selects. You have people that aren't even on Judiciary that became part of this Committee on Weaponization. And that's what they're looking at. You look as they had my, had Matt Taibbi on talking about the Twitter files, literally he's there testifying to this committee in Congress in his house. Somebody from the IRS shows up at his house. Now, yeah. look, having audits happens, but no one, literally no one believes that an IRS agent showing up at Matt Taibbi's house was a coincidence, right? It is a weaponization of government. And we have a committee and in, in this shows like Republicans are taking this seriously we don't have the executive branch. I know people are frustrated and say, when's somebody going to jail? And I think you look forward to going through the Durham report and saying, why did Durham pull some punches? Why didn't he bring in Comey? Why didn't he refer anybody for prosecution? Uh, but Congress, shame on us if we don't follow through and do something, whether it's about weaponized government in the agencies, whether it's about the weaponization of the military industrial complex, they can't pass an audit, there's no accountability, all that happens we give them more money. If you go over to the uh, scientific technical elite, you're going to tell me we're going to keep letting these guys do like uh, Fauci said to Rand Paul. I don't have to tell you how much money I got paid for approving these FDA patents and uh, drug approvals from uh, licenses. We're not going to restructure the National Institutes of Health or the Centers for Disease Control in the wake of all this stuff. Are you kidding me? We have to. Yeah, when I think of the technical weaponization is the proprietary software of our social media. Like when I I can't know if it's tracking me, I can't know if I'm being manipulated. Or I don't well, have access to know. That's a weapon. That's an entirely different subject. I don't disagree with you that that is a problem, but the weapon, weaponization of government and the collusion with big tech, I think, is where what you're saying comes into play. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. That is very important. Like the, I, that's the probably the main focus. Like, but I feel like. It's if you want to be go after Google for weaponizing its software, don't be like, hey, you banned that guy. You're using it as a weapon. It's the fact that, well, firstly, the fact that they can ban the guy is kind of uh, a weaponization that they have that authority. Like uh, if I give you a giant stick, 
you you just have a giant stick, but I can start to consider that a weapon. I want to I want to I want to make sure I just merge these ideas for everybody because I because you're talking about the weaponization of big tech, but the government was utilizing big tech by going to them, getting a portal made to then talk. So the government is effectively using big tech as the shield to say, hey, it's not us. We're not doing it. All we're doing is making requests to a private company and the private company is removing public citizens and their speech and their ideas. Yeah, but you look like they went after they went after parents that showed up at school board meetings. They went after, they just defined a recent term, radical traditional Catholics, i.e. Wow. pro-life Catholics. Yeah, rad trad Catholics. We had the whistleblower on our show. Rad trad Cath. Yeah, rad That's trad Cath. That's me. So they I'm put these it. tags on it. Well, they weaponized government. Thank goodness our country was kind of alarmed in a, in a, across the political spectrum when the government wanted to start spying on your bank accounts. If you got $600 of activity, they're going to report all your bank account activity yeah. to the IRS. I was really encouraged that most everybody said, whoa, wait a minute, that's crazy. But they didn't hire 87,000 IRS agents. I mean, that's five infantry divisions worth of IRS agents. They, did, they don't want five extra infantry divisions of IRS agents to go after a few billionaires and millionaires. You no. mentioned getting um, a committee on health care. What would that look like? I mean, it would look like they own the whole jurisdiction. And part of it is they would have a dedicated subcommittee on oversight. So if you look at, you know, yeah, we have an oversight committee. But if you look at energy and commerce, like a lot of their attention right now is focused on energy policy. Right. Um, but they oversee a healthy portion of the healthcare market. And so I think, you know, one of the proxies I get is, well, who spends the most money on lobbying in D.C.? Well, pr probably healthcare. Right. And the health insurance companies post Obamacare, look, they have like 20 percent net margins. The hospitals uh, have to get bigger uh, and the patients get removed from uh, seeing their doctors. Right. So when you had, a, you know, little kids, they would go to the pediatrician. You could take them in. Well, now you can't because you can't get in for three weeks. Well, the same people that are driving the doctor to be billed, you know, bill every, you know, 10 minute increments or eight minute increments or whatever log their time and stay loaded up on their calendar so they can't even see anybody. Um, well, gee, guess where the kids have to go now because they can't get in to see the pediatrician tomorrow. Well, they got to go to the ER, right? Well, guess what? The ER bills out at a massively higher rate. I mean, it is the most corrupt system. It's so dysfunctional. And some people are at the point where they're just like, look, I don't care. Nationalize it, healthcare, single payer, whatever. It can't be worse than what we have. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> it can always be worse. Yeah, people don't understand. People from all bad. over the world still come here. It's still the best. People should but talk it is to, not uh, run well. People should talk to Michael Malice because he, he talks about this, how people don't understand how bad it was in the Soviet Union. Nope. And they think it can't get worse. And, well, but we're, we got to go to Super Chats. one point about the sure. USSR? You were talking about this a little bit earlier with the Iron Curtain before it fell and how people were shocked that there was fresh milk in the stores. So... When you look at the public attitudes in the USSR versus those in the United States, Americans were in many cases unwilling to believe that the genocidal activity that was reported as coming from the USSR actually happened there because it was just beyond our comprehension that people could be doing that to each other. You know what people in the USSR were unwilling to believe? That we had fresh food that there weren't shortages, that people weren't starving. They thought those were rumors. Yep. They thought there's no possible way that there was somewhere in the world where everyone isn't starving. And actually we have fat homeless people now, so it's kind of a yep. problem.
Let's go to Super Chats. If you haven't already, would you kindly smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends if you really do like it. Word of mouth is the best way to help. And also become a member by going to TimCast.com and clicking join us. We're going to have an uncensored members only show coming up for you at about 10, 10 p.m. And you can even submit questions and maybe even call into the show. All right. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, Tim, IRL yesterday was mad fun. Dan is a cool dude. You're both right. Him, F what the F they say. You, we're done holding it. We forward the line. Right I concur. Bongino was fun. Nacho Man Randy Sandwich says, Ian, do Simon and Garfunkel parody The Sound of Seamus. <laughs> of Seamus. <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll Ian it out says, together. choose the chickens or you'll get mobbed. You was warned. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a reference to the new video I just did, Taking Tim. Actually, not Taking Tim out of context, really. I just It was the actual, I mean, it was out of context. No, I don't think so. Did you do Tim's voice or did Tim? No, it's just I an took actual a audio. I completely from... unedited clip from Tim and animated it. When I first heard it, I, I thought Seamus somehow faked it. I was like, there's no way I delivered that in this way that fits his video so perfectly. <laughs> no. For those, so basically, it's me saying... Hold I was, on, tell I them was, to watch it. Tell them. Yeah. I wonder how much... Well, I guess you don't have to say Well, I'm going to give the context. There was some violent incident that occurred in the city. And I said, why would people choose to live in these cities where you're, you're getting beaten by violent mobs when you can go live out in the middle of nowhere and get like goats and chickens and stuff? And then I did like this little joke line about it's either the chickens <laughs> or being beaten. So <laughs> Seamus made a video. It. Watch it on Freedom Tunes because it's ridiculously funny. Thank you. <laughs> Outdoors with the Morgan says, nice job on Beck's show today. Look forward to the day you get back to West Virginia. Oh, well, you yeah. Glenn Beck? Yeah, How he called it? me. He called me. It was fun. It's good. It's good. I was down at the Blaze. Great. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was down at the Blaze. I didn't meet Glenn when I was down there, but I saw pretty much everybody else. It was epic. Yeah, epic we had a, we had a good conversation. Nice. What did you guys talk about? Penny. You know, I basically said that um, it was it was what I said earlier. It's just, just rephrasing the same quote. I said I don't think the issue with these big cities is that evil exists. It's that good men do nothing. I want to see people rising to the occasion like Daniel Penny did. I want to see people in New York City protesting out, waving signs in support, peacefully, of course, in support of Daniel Penny and make sure the local government knows that you as a resident of the city do not like the crime. And that, you know, there's that woman, the the victim and witness said Daniel Penny's a hero who saved her life. That's the kind of stuff you need. People should come out and say that. Let's Let's grab some more super chats. Purple says, free the code, Crossland Bocus 2024, cast proof for life. Bocus is doing good. He got his second round of stem cells, by the way. He's doing really good. Yeah. He's he's spunky. Yeah. Um, we're going to be, we've cat. got uh, Mr. Bocus Pumpkin Spice Experience is coming soon. Delicious. It's going to be our year-round pumpkin spice coffee because I just never understood why they made it seasonal if everybody always wants it and likes it. Yeah. And then we're doing, uh, this is an idea from one of our members, Focus with Mr. Bocus. Yes. Mm. Yeah, we'll be, a, um, I think it's going to be our espresso roast. So context for that super chat, free the code, is something I say a lot in regards to the social media networks. The large social media networks that are acting in the commons, Google, Twitter, Facebook, I feel like their their source code should be available for people. Yeah, that was a pretty bold move by Elon Musk to, to go public. Public. Here's our algorithm. You can look at yes. it and give us suggestions. And he threw the gauntlet down, and of course, no one has taken it up. They're not gonna. They're not gonna out what's going on at uh, you know Meta. I would be open to like platforms. as like an antitrust movement to mandate that companies function in the United States have to have free software code. The and algorithm. I'm talking AGPL three. Yeah, I don't like, know about all of their code, but the algorithm. Well, we'll start sure. with the algorithms. Yeah, because that's manipulating the public. All right, OMG Buppy says DeSantis understands the culture war. The need to uh, the need to stop the long march through the institutions. The GOP has generally failed in this regard. I like DeSantis. 
if he becomes president, I will be happy. Um, I just think we need right now, you know, like I'm imagining this big siege vehicle, you know, and Donald Trump is the, the bull in front of it. He crashes through the gates and he rah, rampages up the ivory tower and they run fleeing from the building. And then DeSantis comes in and starts signing the policies and the bills and stuff. That's how I view it. Henry says, if DeSantis wins the primary, I can see Trump running as an, as an independent. If that happens, the Democrats win due to a split conservative vote. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Although they did let Donald Trump run last time because, or in 2016, because they thought he was an easy candidate to beat. I the think Pied Hillary Piper candidate. To, yeah. Yep. Man, were they wrong. Viking Vet says, this is what all these politicians don't understand. It's not about winning. We don't care to... Uh, to win if it's back to the old useless Republicans, we would rather go down swinging than bend the knee with a neocon win. I'm not, I don't think DeSantis is Deswamptus. Uh, I think DeSantis is doing a lot of really, really great policy and he's really understanding what motivates a lot of us. I just see him as, um, he's not, the, he's a COO, not a CEO, you know? CEO is like Trump. He, he I don't says, know, man. He's been rocketing in Florida and he's definitely not a neocon. No, I agree. I, I I like to say this, but what I mean by COO is he, he he's the one running the company, getting the job done. But the CEO is the visionary who's telling, you know, like DeSantis. I, I mean, think DeSantis could, is a little more introverted. Trump. There you go. You can't That's get much. You can't get much more extroverted than Donald Trump. You, you cannot. I yeah. mean, yeah. he just fuels energy. Anytime you're in his presence, he's got energy. Uh, you have a good time. Even even people that don't want to have a good time in Donald Trump's presence. Fine. Eh, you're actually having a good time with Donald Trump. You know, DeSantis isn't that kind of personality. I mean, he's a guy that'll, you know, he's he'll be kind and everything else. But like once he talks, he just soon go back in the back and start cranking away on another policy yeah. and just get after it. And, you know, I think either of them can be good. Uh, I, I know, you know, probably what's going to work in terms of rallies uh, is going to be the energy behind Trump. And energy really does drive electoral politics in a lot of ways. That's why DeSantis didn't win by much of a margin when he ran the first time. But then after the people in Florida experienced the, yeah, let this guy just go off and do his thing and he's going to come back and roll out another killer policy. They're like, oh, we want more of that. And they wanted a lot in Florida. All right, we got a question for you from, uh, there's no name. It says, Warren, can you touch on the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, and his attack on crypto innovation in the US, also about his role as CFO for Hillary 2016, Signing off on the payment for Crossfire Hurricane, get him out of office. Yeah, we're working to get rid of Gary Gensler. Uh, I gave a hearing where I was able to communicate with him and say, look, I plan to fire you. Uh, we've got a bill uh, that basically restructures the Securities and Exchange Commission and eliminates the chairmanship. Uh, he fires Gary Gensler as chairman. Uh, he would still be a commissioner. Uh, and right now there are five commissioners. Originally, it was created as a commission because the commission was supposed to do the decision making. And then they supercharged the powers of the chairman. And Gary Gensler is front-running everybody. I mean, he's moving ahead of Congress, he's Republicans and Democrats, the House, the Senate. He's moving ahead of Treasury. He's moving ahead of CFTC. And frankly, it's all to impose his will on everything. Uh, and so there's almost no accountability. The commission, you either have four commissioners that are useless um, or you need, you know, and one chairman, or you go back to say, look, our capital markets are the best in the world. I mean, look, we got four or five percent of the world's population. 25% of the world's GDP, but we have over 50% of the world's invested capital. I mean, why would you mess that up? But Gary Gensler is in the process of messing it up. And you look at crypto, 
Uh, he's clearly declared war on crypto. He's a henchman for Elizabeth Warren, uh, and he's front-running everything for Elizabeth Warren, frankly, Sherrod Brown, uh, who's the chairman of Senate Banking. So they're doing nothing over there except incentivizing him to do this. The way to rein him in is to restructure the Securities and Exchange Commission. Right on, right on. Let's grab this uh, next super chat. John McGee says, trial for Trump's 34 New York charges is set for March 25th, 2024, right in the middle of primary season, and he has to be present. If that's not coordinated election interference, what is? Hmm. Yep. You know what, though? That would look great for him if he rolls it I'm sorry I was late. I was in court because the swamp brought me in. Amazing. <laughs> Fantastic PR for him. Stevie Beebe says they will wait until he wins the primary going into the general and decree he is ineligible. Then say Dem and third or fourth parties only on ballot. A lot of states are going to do that. I would not be surprised if New York says New York will pass some law about eligibility or something. So you think like in the state of New York, they would remove Trump from the ballot? I think a bunch of states will try to do it, but I'm not sure it matters because any state where it's contested, you're going to have people saying do not remove his name. I mean, that's the whole thing where they want to try to get somebody convicted of a felony uh, because that makes you not a qualified elector in those states. uh, And then you can't appear on the ballot. So. Look, if they can't stop, they're so committed to stopping Donald Trump in any way they can. So uh, you kind of got a plan. How how are they going to go after him? And you got to have a plan to stop him. And this is also why I really, really like him. I know people have concerns about electability, but I'm sorry, they're not doing the same things to stop DeSantis. They're just not. Because they know that they're scared of Trump. They are particularly afraid of Trump. That is why I like him. Yeah, me too. Jeff G says, Harley Davidson teamed up with Budweiser. Harley stock is crashing. What were they thinking? Is that true? <laughs> is that true? Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah, hopefully me, that was a deal. That, if it's true, hopefully that was inked ahead of uh, April 1st. Uh, but there are places like stadiums no, there's, there's, that don't stock's want up that 1%. deal. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Uh, in the past month, they're down 13.82%. In the past six months, they're down 31%. I don't think, I don't think it has anything to do with Bud Light. It's a bit of a hit either way. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing poorly, but six, five, six months ago, that was well before what happened with, uh, with Bud Light. So yeah. maybe they're panicking and trying to figure something else out. Bo says, what do you guys think about an election system where you can track your own vote to ensure it's who you voted for, mm-hmm. access it with name, social security number, and current address, also a litmus test, and easy, safest question, like number of states. Yeah, the downside for that is um, then your vote's not private. Somebody else can know exactly how you voted as well. If they have your private information and your social if security number, name, birthday, and mother's maiden name it's and address. En- encrypted and you have like a QR code that only you can scan with your device. You mean like you had private keys yeah. and there well, was like, a public key or something like that? When you like vote, that. it prints out a, a code. Like a blockchain? Yeah, yeah. it would yes. be the same thing yeah. where, you know, if it's not your keys, then it's not your coins. If you had uh, not your keys, not your vote. Uh, here's, you can here's, actually have a different a different system. Here's the problem. Let's say you go to a voting uh, voting station and you go to the machine. And you say, I'm voting for DeSantis. And then it goes, here's your your ballot has been tabulated. Here's your QR code proof. And you go, awesome. Take your phone and you scan it. And it says Trump. And you go, hey, wait, I, I voted for DeSantis. You can't sue. You know why? One vote doesn't change the outcome of an election. So you'd wow. go to court and they would say your vote. There, there are times so you, where one vote does change the outcome of an election. It would have you, you, you. So what happened with a lot of these, uh, uh, a lot of the votes that Trump brought forward? Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of the lawsuits. 
is when they were like, hey, look, we've got what we believe is, you know, impropriety in terms of the like signature verification. They'd say the amount of votes in question would not alter the results. Therefore, case dismissed. Yeah, standing was the argument. And that's what made so many people so frustrated uh, between November and January 6th and why they wanted to show up and rally, rally, peacefully protest. Um, and why, frankly, some people were so frustrated uh, to the point where they crossed the line because they felt like they couldn't get uh, you know, any kind of hearing in court. The courts were not listening. And, and frankly, a lot of people felt like the politicians weren't listening. Uh, and so yeah, I think so, that's why we had the process. What you'd have to do with the QR codes is if you found that your vote was incorrect and they wouldn't fix it and you can't get a lawsuit, you'd have to find the, a number of people that would equal that, that have evidence of their votes being improper. But then the problem is, how do you prove your original vote was actually for the other candidate? What'll end up happening is they'll go to court and they'll argue they did vote for Trump. They're just expressing regret now and their votes are correct. You know what would happen? You'd take a picture showing that they voted for someone else than you asked to vote for. You'd post it to social media and you would just get banned. <laughs> They'd be like, ah, yeah. this is a, yeah. All right, let's grab some more Super Chats. Paul Nyholm says China is demanding loan payments from their Belt and Road Initiative. And they are starving out third world countries by causing them to default and drop their own social and government yeah. services. Mm -hmm. That was always the goal. Yeah, that's yeah. a tactic. Economic hitman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going to do in the rest of Africa as well, unfortunately. <clears throat> that's what they're going to do to Ukraine. Yeah, totally. Not Heisenberg says, Gad Sad coined woke mind virus. Elon repeated. Hmm. Hmm. Correct in the record. Zeref Ecliptico says, men are learning as long as the family courts are weaponized against them. No fault divorce is teaching that it is not no longer worth the risk to wed in a family when it can be stripped away with a simple I'm not happy. And that was Ronald Reagan. Mm. Uh, I think Ronald Reagan put the uh, stake to the heart of this country and just drove it straight through with yeah. no fault divorce. Yeah. yeah. Not even a question. Unbelievably horrible. You can talk about a lot of good things you like him for or things yeah. that he did. We're going to, I don't know, oh, sure, sure, whatever. But no fault divorce was like, let's let's literally just destroy the foundation of this country. With, it's horrible. With like functional prenups, I could imagine it. Like if we get divorced, all my prior money is still mine. And then the, I think you were saying, Seamus, there are versions of prenups where if I initiate the divorce, I forego my ver my prenup and you can take half of whatever. So it kind of disincentivizes the divorce. Yeah, I basically I'm against like I'm I really am against prenups as a concept, but that's one version of it that I think might I don't know, because what you're saying is because then you're incentivizing a person to stay in the marriage, right? So I guess that couldn't be uh, that's not similar to other prenups, but one thing I'll mention with Reagan and no fault divorce, this is the reality of the slippery slope. What happened was on Reagan's first marriage, according to him, his ex-wife had to make up a bunch of lies and false accusations against him in order to get the divorce. So his thinking was, well, if we have no fault divorce, people aren't going to be smeared with false accusations because their wife wants to leave them. Well, this is what always ends up happening. People claim we're going to give an outlet to something that's already happening because it's an ugly reality, but we can't prevent it. And then that thing ends up exploding. This is how the left always gets the social change it wants. Mm. Let's just let the this small handful of people who are going to do this anyway do this thing, and then Everyone ends up doing it. No fault divorce is a perfect example. Let's give an outlet to something that's yep. already happening. And now it happens all the time. Yeah. 
All right. Guardsman Norheim of the 10th first says, Tim, I was watching The Hill this morning and was blown away to see one host, Brianna Joy Gray, claim you were covering for neo-Nazis. Oh, yeah. I think they need to consider and change host again. Why were you watching The Hills Rising? (laughs) Wait, why were they saying you were covering for... Because of that that guy who uh, took four clips of one episode and posted on Russian social media, so Mm -hmm. they claim. And because I was like, how do we even know that's legit? That's and, it, not- and and they and the media was claiming that this guy was a fan because he took four clips from one episode of the show that and, and the clips show he wasn't even subscribed to the show. You know, isn't it, isn't great. it amazing that uh, there was no attribution to Bernie Sanders uh, when, when oh, yeah. one of his uh, fans decided yeah. to shoot up a bunch of my colleagues actually, at a congressional the, yeah. baseball game? The other host on the show actually brought that up and made it a point saying like, oh, no, that's no one, no one actually. Oh, Robbie said that. Either. Yeah, Robbie said. Well, this. what I will say of the hill rising is. You have two two things to consider here. You can watch The Hill, which is a machine built on corporate dollars where they've chosen hosts to put on a show. Mm-hmm. And these are not people who built a show who are particular. These are not people who are particularly good at what they do. Or you can come to a show like Timcast IRL, which was built from the ground up without any corporate investment or backers. And the show works because we did a good job of it. The why is it that Brandon Joy Gray would say something so nonsensical about me? And I believe it was Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk. It's because she is not a competent media personality who would normally <laughs> rise to this position. She was someone who was put in this position because she's on Twitter. Yeah. Whereas, why do you come to watch this show? Well, this show was really small and it was a YouTube channel with no support, no funding or anything. We started doing it. And then people were like, hey, this show's pretty good. And they started watching it. Mm-hmm. The Hills Rising is they invested a bunch of money, shuffled around various hosts, found a person, and now they have vapid opinions that don't seem to make sense. Well, mm-hmm. Not surprised. Also, this is hilarious. Hold on. I just got to make a comment about this. They're claiming that you're covering for a neo-Nazi by saying he wasn't one of your fans. How is that covering for him? Like, because like she, that she, makes she, him worse if he's one of your fans and you're covering for him? Because like, The Hill Rising is fake not woke it's like it is woke uh-huh. they want us to bow and uh-huh. say oh no oh geez we better adhere to the machine's narrative because look what they're smearing us with mm-hmm. the media comes out and claims that he was a fan because they're liars yeah the guy typical yeah they, uh, uh, bellingcat oh i trust bellingcat the the, the, the the i'm pretty sure it was the founder who was making ai images of trump getting arrested like that's a a, a non-partisan actor they find this profile there's no direct evidence of it they then, then I think it's like CNN's like, but he had a picture of his birth certificate or some other nonsense. Like, oh yeah, we all post that to our social profiles. Makes no sense. But maybe it's real. I don't know or care. A dude posting four clips from one show that, and, and you can see he's not subscribed, is not a fan. Mm-hmm. They're just saying that because they are trying to weaponize things for political gain. Right. If Brianna Joy Gray is saying that, it's because she is lying to you and beca- or because she's just very, very stupid. Yeah. It's, which is possible to be just, both. It just got bought as of tomorrow. It's complete. It's owned by Next Star Media Group. Talk about corporate conglomeration. Well, yeah. it's funny the whole way she threw that. She's talking about like anti, like uh, the legacy media, saying like, "Oh, we're not part of big media and stuff like that." And it was just so funny. Well, you are now, is... Brianna. What's Next Star? <laughs> Look it up though. Next yeah. Star Media Group. Let's find out. Could be a startup. Know. Who knows? I'm just saying, like, no, they're they're big. They own a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. you can you can take a bunch of money, it's buy a set, and then say, "Find me a host for a show." Or you can look at the people who are rising in today's ranks, people who just slowly built up a show mm-hmm. because they did a good job. It's meritocracy versus institutional power. Yeah, uh, yeah but, it's uh, publicly. Nextstar is publicly traded. They own CW. Wow. They own seventy-five percent of the CW. CW. 
Oh, so the Hill Rising is this big corporate network. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, they have those opinions. <laughs> but I'll tell you how it works. I'll tell you how it works. They don't go to people like Brianna Joy Gray and say, say this or else you're fired. They find people who are stupid, who say stupid things, and then right. say, that's the kind of person we should hire. Right. So I've seen this at all the media companies I've worked for. How is it that you end up with someone who writes a story that's just the most insane garbage ever? They're not forced to do it. These are people who genuinely believe stupid things because they're not smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Chris Page says, Seamus, back in the day, old people would plant a tree or build a business for the children. Now they sell the children or gifts or, or gifts of the old for today. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, well, I think it's true. People sell out. No, it's true. I mean, we live in a culture where people are so focused on their immediate short term gain that the elderly actually care more about their own comfort or even social standing than they do the next generation. All right. I'm reading this one. Mm hmm. It says, uh, evil zombie hamster says this 20 bucks is for Seamus. Oh, Tim you. pool chicken tune is freaking hilarious. <laughs> I've been playing it on repeat and laughing for the last five minutes. Tim probably won't give you the $20. So it's a good thing. I'm a member of your site. That is not true. <laughs> Thank I you. have $20 oh, right here. Man. Oh, from, from you to Seamus. Nice work. Thank you. Right. Throw it. Guys, give me super chats and say that more often so that Tim just keeps taking money out of his wallet. And nice I'll, I will remind people that like a portion of that super chat does go to YouTube. So you're getting a premium. I'm getting, getting a, premium. a premium. So That's send right. more money and we'll bankrupt him. So, so basically what happens is I made a funny joke. Seamus <laughs> took my funny joke. How dare you? How dare you characterize it that way? You made an innocuous statement. And as I was listening innocuous, to it, innocuous, it was perfectly you delivered. were being completely serious. You were saying, this is how I really feel about the world. My name's Tim Pool. And then I said, this is going to make an excellent cartoon. It is really funny how like you basically turned in my warning. You turned it into a threat. <laughs> yeah, like, so great. basically I was saying like, it's a warning. You live in these seasons. What happens? And then Seamus animated it. So it looks like I'm threatening people. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I, you guys really have to watch it, please. I can't wait. Wait. When he showed yeah. it to me, I was I was crying, laughing. It was so good. I showed him this morning. He was dying. Yeah, and I had to. I was like, I went and got my girlfriend. I was like, you got to watch this. Like, awesome. Come on, come on. And she was like, I don't get it. No, I'm totally. <laughs> no, she, 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 she loved busted it. out laughing. Yeah, she was laughing too. Free food for life says. Just wanted to say hi, Seamus. Love your work on cartoons and your podcast. But in your podcast and pints with Aquinas, y'all about. Have me converting no. from Protestantism to Catholicism. Yes! No. Yes! Do it! No. Do it! Do it! You're so close. You uh, can do you it. Send that? me a Look DM. Wow. Send me a DM on Twitter. They're talking about Shamer? <laughs> yeah, they're talking about Shamer. So what's the premise? I haven't seen it yet. I shame everybody. Just one by one? I just, just go through the whole country and I'm like, shame on this guy for this reason. No, I'm just sort of like talking the issues. It's just a political podcast where I go through the events of the day and then sometimes I'll interview people. Oh. All right, let's read this one. Sean D says, thank you for representing Butler County. Is there any way for Ohio to get its representation back from the southwestern states with illegal immigrants counted in the census? Ohio GOP were able to district out Tim Ryan or else they were going to come for your seat. Yeah, uh, look, this is a great question. I've got a bill that uh, is basically called the Fair uh, Representation Act. It basically uh, makes it so like the 14th Amendment is clear to me that, you know, I don't represent. I represent American citizens. I represent no one who's not a citizen. Uh, if you came to the country legally, I mean, I hope you have a good time. Glad you came to America. Your representation is at an embassy or, or a consulate. Um, you know, in the downside is the way that look, Donald Trump got beaten in this lawsuit, he tried to fight it. And so that we counted citizens. Uh, the way that non-citizens are stealing representation isn't just by like people trying to vote illegally. It's when you have uh, over representation on the congressional maps. 
Um, so we, we've talked about it quite a bit. Actually. You have like you have like five to seven extra members of Congress in California. And with the sanctuary cities, you oversample the population in urban areas. So it creates more blue districts, yep. specifically blue districts, and it puts more people into certain states. So it really is theft of representation. And then when you look at the way the resources are distributed, it's generally distributed on a per capita basis. It should be distributed on a per citizen basis or an electoral vote basis. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a better system. And we should decide that of our own accord. Um, but if we can't, we should amend the Constitution to make it clear. I've got a constitutional amendment proposed. It would be great. And, it, and look, Ohio would pick up probably two seats out of that. Who knows what every other state, but we know California and some of the border states would lose representation. It not only uh-huh. is electoral representation stolen, but I just want to make one point really quick here. The two things conservatives say is they steal our votes and, and they take welfare. And the left goes, um, well, actually, because they're not citizens, they can't do either. But what happens ben is... doesn't say that. No, that, well, all right. That was my lefty impression, but you're right. It did sound more like Ben Shapiro. Yes. But th- my point is simply to say that not only, like you said, does representation become lopsided because they're counted and they, they get extra electoral votes or more representation in government. Um, when their family members are on welfare, they'll end up taking welfare from them. So they're still pulling out of the system. And there was an article written by a left-wing outlet a few years ago after Trump got elected that said, these poor undocumented citizens uh, are too afraid to get welfare now that Trump's been elected. It's like, oh, interesting. I thought that wasn't <laughs> happening. All right. Chaser says, Tim, the coffee shop must sell Joey's bag of donuts. Yes. I don't know if we can actually sell donuts like that, but maybe we'll make a coffee that's like, you know, Joey's bag of donuts or whatever. We are we are in, we are planning on uh, we've got a few things launching. K cups are coming in the next couple of weeks. They've got to manufacture them, but we've got uh, all the different varieties. We've got a few different uh, blends that are uh, uh, blends and roasts that are coming. We've got Mr. Bocas pumpkin spice experience, but then we're also going to be adding. Um, Protein powders and other things like that to the Casper marketplace. So we're really, really excited for all this stuff. I'm really excited for our um, MCT protein mix for working out. And we're working with uh, uh, specialists on the proper formulation for exercise and all that stuff. So we'll, we'll get to that point when we get to that point. But I'm really excited to be able to launch that. That's actually a lot easier to launch, surprisingly. Wow. Because when it comes to like making protein powders and, and supplements, I'm not going to do any vitamins or brain blast or any of that stuff. It's going to be like protein for exercising and MCT for energy when you're exercising. But uh, they make that stuff and then we formulate how we want it. So we want a certain mix of MCT and protein. So you're getting fat and you're getting protein. And then we work with a specialist to make it, but they have huge batches ready to go to formulate and mix so they can make they can make it a lot faster with coffee. It's like we have to roast it and make sure it's fresh and ready and all that stuff. Hmm. Much different, much different. But uh, man, I'm torn between the Appalachian Knights and the and the Bocas. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Roberto Jr., I got to try Roberto Jr. Rise with Roberto again. It's so good. Do we have any in the house? Uh, no, we need to get more. Yeah. Yeah, it just we it goes so it's quickly. sold out. But I'm um, really excited. We're going to get a whole bunch of K-Cups here. So we'll have all those ready to go. Sweet. Yeah, and then um, the first order I think we're doing is not biodegradable, but we're talking about them because we told them we we wanted biodegradable or, or nothing. And they said, well, then nothing it is. And we were like, what can we do? And they said, do a run with non-biodegradable. And then once we get up and running with manufacturing biodegradable, it'll oh, switch okay. over cool yeah the thing is though to be honest the biodegradable ones they're better for the planet they don't last as long no because they're not sealed the right. same way that uh the the, the other k-cups are yeah so they so they're exposed to air yep all right if you haven't already my friends would you kindly smash that like button subscribe to this channel share the show with your friends become a member by going to timcast.com clicking join us because we are now getting ready for our members only uncensored show and we'll be taking your calls as members 
uh, those of you who have joined the Discord for at least six months or who have been uh, been a member for at least six months or signed up at 25 bucks, we're going to take your calls tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow the show at Timcast IRL. You can follow me at Timcast. Warren, you want to shout anything out? No, you can follow me online at Warren Dav- or Twitter at Warren Davidson or you know on our official site, davidson.house.gov. Uh, or warrendavidson.com. My name is Seamus Coughlin. I make cartoons uh, on a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes. We've been shouting out the cartoon I did making fun of Tim today. I think you guys will all really enjoy it. I also have a podcast called Shamer. It's on Rumble. We air Tuesday and Thursday nights at 6 p.m., sometimes on Friday. And if you want to support my work, you want to contribute to help us to make more of the cartoons we make, go over to freedomtunes.com, become a member. You will also get an extra cartoon each week that only members have access to, as well as other behind-the-scenes stuff. You can follow me at Ian Crossland anywhere on the internet. That's how it's spelled right behind me. If you can't see it, there it is. I-A-N-C-R-O-S-S-L-A-N-D. Warren. Great to see you, man. And I feel like we barely got down. We we just started, but I really appreciate the... Uh, we still have the members only. Yeah, so. the, in- the intelligence. Here. So we'll go deeper and maybe we can do this again sometime. Yeah, I love hanging too. out with you guys. Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to all the mobile gametes out there. You know who you are. And uh, Bernie, <laughs> the sh- <laughs> All the, right. The show is not pre-recorded. I'm using your name, Barony, specifically to tell you the show is not pre-recorded. Um, yeah, it was a good one. Uh, at surge.com on Twitter. And uh, I'll be in the chat today. So see you guys so later. How would we read super chats if the show was pre-recorded? I have no idea, but this guy was saying it, it annoys me because we huh. work so hard to make it live. So come on, yeah. bro. All right, everybody. We'll see you all over at timcast.com in just a few minutes. Thanks for hanging out.